Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Our podcast is brought to you by That's The Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crust that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's The Sum Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292. Order online at thatsthesum.com or download That's The Sum Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City. Sound Reprographics has been providing printing and custom design services for Kitsap County since 1992. Whatever your needs, Sound Reprographics can supply you with the best price, and quality for all of your printing and design requirements. Call 206-780-9678. Celebrating 25 years in business. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. your host with the most, Tiny Tim. Talking about the podcast here. Um, so I went through a bunch of death and heartbreak and all that type of stuff, and my dog died, and uh, I just decided to get out of the rat race, quit the job, was in the ER for about 12 days with a failed pancreas, and uh, just in a negative spot, and decided, fuck people. I'm going to go uh, walk my dog in the woods and, and or on the beach, depending on how I felt that day and the weather. The, when it rained, usually went in the canopy. Started getting into mindfulness and a little bit of meditation. The dog died. More people started dying around me, really having a hard time self-processing. Decided um, I don't want to fucking talk to anybody. So that went down for about three years. Wow. And had a little dog walking business and uh, still do word of mutt. And just walked the earth like Cain and Kung Fu. 
And then I decided that that wasn't the healthiest approach. The mindfulness helped for a long time, but uh, the lack of communication. This is kind of an exploration of personal growth. Uh, I brought you guys in because I want to have a reoccurring comedy part to this podcast. Um, apparently, you guys are funny. We'll find out here in a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got this uh, bit I w that I'm hoping to find three female comedians, and I'm going to start a bit called uh, the, the Surreal Housewives of Bainbridge Island and do a show or a part in here and to have that happen so we can have um, fake people talking about fake problems on the island. Um, yeah, because those shows are so real. Yeah, Reality TV is the fakest thing ever. <laughs> but I think that's what people want. I don't think people can tell anymore the difference between fake and real. I think it's gotten to that level. And, you know, you were talking about uh, spiritual identification and uh, self-awareness and awareness of others and all that. And it's interesting because the lead-in on comedy is comedy is all about therapy. It's uh, you doing your thing and you're exercising inside the things that are thoughtful, that are your observations, that are part of sort of the general condition that you observe in humanity. That's one of the things Dan and I do so well. Whatever the circumstances, whatever we're seeing, we just went and we had coffee. That's what we're talking about, how your regular life is happening in front of you and the absurdity of it, the foolishness of it, the ridiculousness of it, and ultimately the comedy behind it. Hey, for Hysterical. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody just tuning in, um, I'm here with Dan and Rafi, yeah. and they're two funny guys from around the way. Um, Dan. Yes. Who are yes. you? Tell, tell the people who you are. Who am I? Okay. Well, I was born a <laughs> small Zoroastrian woman. No. <laughs> it's my favorite Dr. Evil speech. Uh, I'm originally from the Pittsburgh area. Go Steelers. And uh, I still love the Seahawks, though, because they're both home right now. And let's point out, you are wearing a Seahawks cap. I am wearing a Seahawks hat, I know. And, and Franco Harris, the best Steeler ever. Yes. I also actually did, played I actually on the Seahawks. Did, I actually did uh, stand-up with Franco once. He was uh, the guest MC at a Valentine's Day show. And this was pre-OJ wife slashing. Oh. And when he was in the audience before he came up, before I introduced him, I said, and love you on those Hertz commercials. <laughs> and that got a huge laugh. And now that wouldn't be, that'd be offensive. Now you wouldn't be laughing now. No. I uh, love how you sliced your wife off. Your wife up. That's fantastic. No, no, uh, no it was a holiday season. And he was, and this is alleged, of course. Right. Uh, he just prefers to carve up the white meat. Oh. Oh, dear. Wow. Dear. <laughs> Can we say that here? Dear venison. So I uh, got into comedy. I, I literally could not speak in front of people when I was a, a child. I would get nervous and skip class, and I never wanted to do anything in front of people. And I had a, a comedy partner named Eric, so we called our comedy group Eridan. We took the Era and the Dan. I got my whole name. He had to drop a C, because Eric Dan sounded stupid. So I got my whole name out of it. And we went up on stage uh, after doing a bunch of parties. We were doing a sketch called Every Episode of Star Trek in Under Three Minutes, Beautiful. which was a totally hacked, stolen from a group called The Frantics. We saw them on a, on a TV show called Just for Laughs from the Montreal Comedy Festival on Showtime, and we stole the entire thing. He was Kirk, and it was a horrible Kirk. He wasn't impersonating Shatner. He was impersonating the guy in The Frantics, that impersonating character. Right, Kirk. so it was he wasn't even doing Kirk. The guy was just doing his own voice. And I was Spock and Chekhov and Sulu and Ahura. I did them all. Say Ahura again. Ahura. Ahura. Oh, my. <laughs> 
Sulu. And uh, the culmination was I would wear a sombrero, and I had two red wiffle ball bats. And if you wear a sombrero and hold two red wiffle ball bats up, it looks like the Starship Enterprise. So I'm running around the stage. I, you know, we're doing this fight, and he pulled his shirt up, and we, yeah. It, it was a fun thing. I know I'm not used to th- this thing. I'm used to just that thing. I'm used to taking it all in, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't use I don't use mic condoms. Yeah. I guess that's like a dental dam. Anyway, so we did this hacky bit. We didn't know any better. We thought when you do stand up, it's like you know when you start in a band, you do covers. So we do a first open mic and we kill at the Pittsburgh Funny Bone, and the open mic there was like 150 people on a Monday night. So that was our first show in front of an audience. And, you know, a couple of comics came up afterwards. They go, you, you know, that's not yours, right? I'm like, well, of course it's not ours. I mean, it's the first time on stage. You think we just came up with that genius bit of material? And we started going up a lot more. And he was in Weight Watchers because he lost a bunch of weight. And out of the blue one night, he calls up. He goes, I can't make it. Uh, he was teaching Weight Watchers. I go, what's wrong? He goes, well, we have an, I have an emergency Weight Watchers meeting. I'm like, what is an emergency Weight Watchers? Like, Hang on, put, I got pie. Put the ho-ho down. Shout out to Ralphie May. I wish he would have made that meeting. Yeah, well, yeah, big old Ralphie. And John Panette, too, another another large guy that we lost. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You don't see a lot of really, really fat old people, Nah, unfortunately. That's true. No, so, my new uh, New Year's resolution is as I approach the food, would a skinny person eat that? That's good. That's a good one. That's, that's my self-defense right there. That's not yeah. bad. Especially in these days of 63239. That's such BS. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'm 72180. There you with go. With a full head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so so he canceled on me. I had to go up alone. And I was scared out of my I mean, I was wearing a silk shirt that I bought at Merry-Go-Round. Oh, there you go. So this was 1992. <laughs> Free Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. And I'm wearing the silk shirt. I've got it all tucked in. And I've got a, uh, I think I had a tie on. I might have been wearing some Z Cavaricis. Very nice. Throwing out some references. Very, very 90s. Really, really 90s pants that are like MC Hammer almost. But Did not you get those quite. at Squire Shop? Or no, no. It was all, I, only, I only shopped at Merry-Go-Round back then. That was it. You knew that at, was a female at, store, right? At the Beaver Valley Mall. <laughs> Beaver, Beaver Valley. Valley. Yeah. Beaver Valley that? Mall. Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania is where I grew up, outside of Pittsburgh. We actually had a restaurant called Sadie's Big Beaver Restaurant. Poor Sadie. So much her big beaver there. Poor beavers. Yeah. So I get up on stage, and I and I do fine. And I come off. I'm like, wow, that was that – was, You lost uh, the weight there. That was high. Well, I, yeah, I was a skinny one at the time. I'm like, I, I was higher than a kite. I'm like, this is amazing. And like you're saying about therapy, I don't – well, I probably do need therapy. But when I do stand-up consistently – I'm a much more level-headed, laid-back person because yeah. you get that outlet and you get that chance to just talk and get it out of your system. Yeah. And I get up on stage. I don't really prepare. I mean, I don't really have – I went to I have an act. I've got an hour and a half of material in my head. And if I'm doing 20 minutes, I don't know what part of that hour and a half is going to come out. But the truth is you're you're preparing. You're just preparing subconsciously. You're preparing throughout the week. You can feel that date coming up. You know you're going to be on. So you prepare in your head the rough framework, and then you vamp through it. Right. Like I have a show Saturday night. The Saturday? At BPA. And I'm only the MC. I mean, I produce the show, but I'm the MC. I put the show together. Rafi's our band leader. And uh, we've got Bridget, uh, I almost said Bridget Jones' diary. Bridget Young, who's very funny. She's done a couple of one-woman shows there. Yeah, and a guy good. named Brad Upton, who's a national headliner. He's going to be our headliner. And am I prepared for it? No, but I'm only the MC. 
You know, I just have to go out, do 10 or 15 minutes, get the audience warmed up and ready and ad lib and talk about the bridge that they're going to build or not build. And Hashtag bridge to nowhere. Yeah. I coined that right here in the bystander. <laughs> all, all the different uh, local things. Uh, the fact that, you know, we have two Starbucks. Wait a minute. In the same don't parking we, lot. Don't we already have a bridge to nowhere? I mean, doesn't that bridge take you off the island and you go basically to nowhere? No, that's Paul's bow. Oh, I'm sorry. I confused <laughs> nowhere and Paul's bow. Paul's bow. Paul's bow. It's actually Suquamish, if you're, that's really where the bridge goes to. Let's take a quick second. Stop. Edit. Switch mics. I think if you go this one, you can have Oh, because so, I'm looking over there? Yeah, you're talking out of the side of your mouth, and that people are going to understand you're talking All right, out of the side how about of your that? ass. Uh, <laughs> Should I switch headphones? Should I move over I this so. way then? All right. Should I do this? It depends on if you want eye contact with Dan or not. I like to have eye contact with Dan. Yeah, I'm one of those people that... That's how we work. <laughs> I'm a POV guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, and we're back. <laughs> now we still... That was do- edited. Yeah. yeah. Do I sound better now? Yes. You I cleared oh, my man. throat and drank some coffee. So, Rafi, do we know Dan now? I think we know Dan. Is that All enough? Right. Let's yeah. move on to you, and we'll get back to here. This back to casual. Me. Oh, no. Rafi, who are you? So, uh, I'm basically trained as uh, an artist. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> trained. They're my favorite trained. band. So, my, my interest has always been in the visual arts. So, I started out as a kid drawing everything. That was my world. That was my therapy, you know, was trying to figure out sort of the world by drawing things, solving, solving problems, figuring out mechanical things. Uh, love that stuff. And uh, for some reason, it was always easier for me to relate to the objects, relate to sort of this imaginary world that I was drawing. But I always liked writing as well because I could conjure up stories. I could come up with imaginative visions of whatever was inside my head. And, you know, as a kid, there's all kinds of stuff inside your head, and you don't do anything with it. So I always felt like, well, maybe I'll do something with it. So I get an idea. I draw it up. And then I got a little book, and I'm putting my ideas in these books. So it was very much like an overall process for me, discovering the world through my perceptions and ideas and things like that. So it didn't take long for me to get into cartooning and caricature art and things like that. In classes, I would see some kids, what they look like, the funny things they do. I'd quickly sketch them out and do some comics and things like that. So that was always fun. Long story short, I end up getting into design. I get a degree as an industrial designer, and I start working in that field. And one of the things that I didn't know was that uh, you have to give a lot of presentations which means you got to be on your feet. You got to think about what you're going to say. You got to convince your clients as to what you're doing work wise. So uh, I took some comedy improv classes just on a lark. I was living in Los Angeles. Groundlings? Did you do Groundlings? Yes, I worked with them mm. entirely. In fact, I'm a founder. No. So I, uh, I took a couple of these classes and I had a great time because it loosened me up. Instead of giving sort of these stiff presentations where I'm, you know, wearing a suit and tie and pointing to things and all that sort of now PowerPoint type stuff, I just loosened up. I got to the point where I was telling stories and I was being more uh, relaxed about it and my work got better. And uh, so I just started doing comedic work whenever I had the opportunity. And uh, by the time I got to the island here, I met Dan and of course, like a lot of people, I met him through my our mutual interest in cars. And uh, we've been working together on a number of different projects ever since. We did a radio show on CBS Radio, actually. Yeah. Yeah, about cars, right? You yep. It was called... Uh, not Click and Clack? It was. Yeah, we were Not Click and Clack. Uh, 
Oh my god, what was the show called? You Clutch forgot. Radio. Clutch Radio. That's right. You came up with the name. Oh my god, I forgot the name. Because I had one in L.A. called. I had one called Car Talk. No, Car Car Calls. <laughs> I had another one called Car News. Yeah. And then this one, I wasn't sure what to call it. And, and Rafi just out of the blue because I got the name for you, Clutch. You're in the clutch. You're in the clutch. Clutch radio. Clutch radio. Engaging ask talk. A, about ask radio. a high school kid now what a clutch is. Yeah. I don't think they know. They don't even know how to turn on a key. You push a button. Yeah, you goes. push the button. You get in the car. And, hey, I know. Hey, hey. So we did the show. CBS Radio had, uh, you know, they, they're no longer CBS Radio. They're gone now. They merged with Enter, Intercom Radio. They have a little AM station doing sports. They were like the ninth sports station in Seattle. Sports radio. They had none of the teams. They didn't have the Seahawks. They didn't have... I think they had the Thunderbirds, mm, that's which I think team. is the like minor, minor, minor league hockey team that plays at the, the Tacoma Dome or somewhere. That no, was they the only play sport. outside the Tacoma right. Dome when it's really cold. The Wamu, I think now. I don't know where they were playing. They they had a large following. They used to be at the Seattle uh, Center um, with the storm. Oh, used okay. To share that arena, but I, I, I did I don't not know. know that. There you, you know. go. All lost right. on hockey. So yeah, so we, I, that was the, it was a sports station, and I I knew a guy, and he called me in. He goes, "Hey, we want to do a car show. Do you want to come in and do it?" And we said, "Sure." So we did it. I think twelve or thirteen week. Yeah, it was a lot deal. of fun. We'd go into the studio, we'd set up, we'd do the thing. We had a show format and everything. It was great. We had fun. a third guy named John Hibbs. Yeah. Who uh, basically this? had a heart attack right in the middle of. Uh, he basically did. We do about out. four shows, and he's like, he had, he's, I gotta, I, I'll be back. I got to go have open heart surgery. Yeah. Like, okay, so he what? was gone for like three weeks, and all of a sudden he's back yeah. on the air with us. And we had him phone in one episode, and then uh, we had a couple guys. We had one guy come we had in Paul sit in. Paul was great. Uh, yeah, but basically, uh, uh, basically we, we ran the show. We had some fun, fun stuff going through it, and, and it wasn't just cars. You know, you talk about a lot of things around the cars. We had Donald Trump call in. We had Trump call in. Yeah, absolutely. Not the real Trump, but we had a guy, Brian Whitman, out of Los Angeles, who's probably one of the best voice, voice guys. So it was a call-in show. It was yeah. a call-in show, but it was pre-recorded, unfortunately. They didn't yeah. want to go live. Mm. All the shows they did in L.A. were all live. And to me, live radio is, because there's no editing, because I'm lazy. Right. <laughs> you do a podcast, you know, well, you know, I might want to edit this, you might want to edit that. that. I was like, do a podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I need callers, and I want it to be 100% live, because then it's out there, and once it's out, it's done. Right. It's gone. And the show we did in, in uh, L.A., I think I've told you this story, but the way we got it, I was working at a car dealership, and I had done radio in New Orleans, and I was doing stand-up, and a new general manager comes in. He goes, hey, do you have any marketing ideas, You know, ways we can really you know, get the thing going? I go, how about a radio show where we talk about the car process, like buying and selling cars, give away all the secrets, mm-hmm. talk about everything, and then people will trust us, and they'll come buy cars from us. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. All right. So six months later, I get promoted to, to the sales manager position. I get to go in with the owner at a mar- the weekly marketing meeting. It's the end of the year. He goes, we have $200,000 we have to spend by the end of the year, or General Motors ooh, will not ooh, match ooh, it next year. Pick me. Pick I put me. my hand up, and the, 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 my boss looks at me like, don't you dare. I go, how about a radio show about the car business? And the guy goes, Okay, I like it. And and the owner had just come out with a country song of his own called Don't Touch My Chevy. And I go, and your song could be the theme song. He goes, let's do it. Sold. And then the general manager, of course, goes, yeah, yeah, Dan told me about this. is a great idea. Oh, I'll do it. And he, this was like such a, a, I'm in, I'm in. Which is funny. I mean, I became really good friends with this guy that was the general manager. It was just a funny moment that, you know, the idea didn't make sense, but then when it made sense. So... They're like, well, what radio station? And I'm, I'm like, well, to me, there's only one in L.A. for talk radio. It was the one that was the Howard Stern station. And then once he left, it was Adam Carolla. It was a guy named Tom Likas in the afternoons. 
Tom Likas was from here, Seattle. Yeah, he broadcast here for a lot, a, a lot, a lot of years. But the show was out of L.A., and they were number one in talk. So I'm like, I want to be on that station. So he goes, well, call around and get the best rate. So I didn't call any other stations. I only called there, and negotiated a deal. It was like sixteen hundred bucks a week. Was what we were paying for the first thirteen weeks. Wow. And after the first ratings book, our show was the number one weekend talk show on the entire station. We were beating the, the film guy and the food guy, people that had been there for 10 years. We beat everybody. Those food shows on the weekend on the radio station. Oh, the guy was horrible. awesome. Meryl Schindler. Meryl Schindler, I'm the food dude. He was from New York City. He talked like this. Dude. You go to the restaurant. <laughs> every This is a good restaurant. They have three branches. I'm like, I never heard of restaurants called branches. <laughs> Tree of life, man. Yes. It's a good restaurant. You know, uh, 97.1, the FM talk station. Rafi. Yes. Give me an example of what somebody would call in to ask on that show. So people would call in and they'd say, uh, so I've got this uh, 1999 Volvo and there's 238,000 miles. Uh, do you think I should sell it? And I'd say, well, you know, uh, what are your plans? What do you, how do you drive? Uh, usually they talk about, you know, well, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this and that. And, you know, they go back and forth and they say, uh, I'm looking to get it, another car. And they say, I've gone out and I've looked at uh, new Volvos. Well, a new Volvo is $45,000, for God's sakes. And you're driving around in a car that at best you're going to get two, two grand from the dealer on trade-in. And you might be able to sell it, you know, private party for three grand. So oftentimes I'll tell them, look, if you're fine and the car's running great, just hold on to that car. Take another year and then go buy the, the car that you would have bought brand new after it's had another, you know, what, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 um, uh, and loss in the the basic value. And, you know, nowadays, most people, when they go to buy a car, they want to buy a brand new car. They say they don't want the problems that, you know, other people's problems. Well, a car that's a year or two years old, it's got no problems on it, you know. Yeah, or they've been discovered and recalled and fixed. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it used to be you'd find a car that might have 50,000, 60,000 miles on it. You go, oh, no, I don't know. That's, that's uh, Half its life is gone. Now cars will go 200,000, 300,000 miles with no problems whatsoever. So a used car is a great way to go. Oftentimes, that's usually what it is. Or they call in where they go, the car goes. They're like, what is that noise? Can you do the exact noise the, the brakes noise are making? Well, like, no, no, no. What about the back brake? What does that sound like? <laughs> exactly. Make people sound like idiots. Yeah. And <laughs> But in L.A., when, we, when I had the show in L.A., we would do, because I had a comedian who knew nothing about cars as my, my sidekick, and then we had a producer who just was a, a really cool guy. But he knew nothing about cars. So when we did this show... Rafi knows more about cars than any human being alive. I mean, I literally call him the human Google of cars. I could not stump him. And John Hibbs, who was the other guy, he knew nothing. So we would do a game called uh, Is It Is It True or Is It Bullshit? Right. I think is what it was called. And then we bleeped the, the shit. They, they had a, honk, a horn honk over yeah. it. And, and I would ask a question, and John would make up, because John was an improviser, he'd come up with his answer that was – most times, very believable. Oh, yeah. Very much and then so. Rafi would give the real answer, and then we'd, I'd have to decide you know, who was right, who was wrong. Right, and occasionally John, because we go to John first, John would come up with the actual answer. So then I'd have like two, maybe three seconds to figure out my fake answer, which was not easy. Sterling Moss. Sterling Moss. There you go. That was the one that was the funniest <laughs> one. I love that. I, th I think people buy, car buy new cars. Well, they go to work. So yeah. they can make money. So you sure. can buy new cars. So they can take the new car to work. Right. Got to show off the car. Yeah. yeah, it's a vicious cycle. And then, and then you think about, too, you know, all the things people do around their cars. You know, it's not just driving the cars anymore. You know, the car's a place you can work. Car, you can take phone calls. You can, 
you know, there's watch TV in them. Absolutely, there's all kinds of. They'll things drive now. you now. Yeah. What? Now the Teslas. I mean, you can put on autopilot and just take you. Yeah. Right, Tesla's coming out with a truck. What do you guys think about that idea? Oh, the semi truck or the pickup truck? Pickup truck. Yeah. I think it's a good idea, but I think people will be afraid to haul crap in it. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to you don't want to fill up gravel in the back of your Tesla. It just how, how do you feel about this uh, AI shipping thought process? I think Tesla's leading the way where there's going to be artificial intelligence in the semi trucks and. We're going to run those through America. Look, for the most part, this stuff is going to happen. You can't stop it. Genie's out of the bottle. So we're going to have artificial intelligence. We already do. We've had it for many years operating tons of systems hidden you know, in all sorts of different places that we just don't figure. I mean, for all intents and purposes, if you think about it, the ATM is an, it's an AI. You go to this thing that used to be a person and you stick in a card and you get money back but most people don't think of that as artificial intelligence but it is now granted it's a limited system with limited quantity and possibilities and capabilities but we're advancing that so eventually we're going to have vehicles on the road that are doing deliveries completely computer controlled right now when we get on an airplane occasionally we have aircraft that fly from one place to another place completely computer controlled there's still human beings inside the aircraft in case you know they have to deal with things but it's happening all around us. So eventually, maybe not our kids, but their kids are going to wake up, get in these vehicles that are pre-programmed to go to pre-destinations, and they're going to go there. They're going to get out of the vehicle, have absolutely nothing to do with the driving experience, arrive at the destination, and do whatever they do. Just like I think there will be secondary roads. I think there will be automated roads, and there will be manual roads. Because people are going to still want to drive. The automatic cars, in my opinion, do not work if you have humans driving other cars around them. Well, that 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 now that's a reasonable. Once you mix them, that's a reasonable thought based on the future. But if you look at the past, it didn't happen when we went from horses to automobiles. There was a period of about twenty-five to thirty years where horses and automobiles shared the roadways, and people just had to figure out how to do that. And eventually, a lot of horses died. A lot of horses died. Eventually, it it all went away. But today. We still have horses. They're, they're used for recreational purposes, and people use them, but they're in sequestered areas. Sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in sequestered <laughs> areas for recreation, for polo, for horse racing, for, you know, people who want to do, uh, you know, uh, riding and, you know, for fun. Uh, they're all over. And, in fact, recreational horsemanship is at a higher level now than it's ever been. So in some, st- we believe in this, Dan. Oh, it's very about true. recreational horse, recreational horsing around, maybe. Oh, absolutely. So, so your your theory is then the cars will still be even if everything's automated. Yes, people still want to drive. Absolutely, because driving is a very very specific and enjoyable recreational task that human beings like. You're in control of a mechanized beast, so to speak. I despise driving, and. What happens when the artificial intelligence car with nobody in it hits my car and then keeps driving? Yeah, how do you get the insurance information yeah. from the auto? Hey, stop. Hey, AI, stop. <laughs> like your neighbor, State Farm is there. They didn't show up. Damn. In those circumstances and situations, there will always be default mechanisms for you to disengage. And if it doesn't disengage, you've got bigger problems So than having hit somebody or Whatever, but now explain how um, the thugs are going to have drive-by shootings in the AI system. The guns will be automatic too. Yeah, they just program it. They say go out, shoot this guy, and they they don't have to be there. God, I was I was in this barn on Bainbridge uh, yesterday, and I heard this clippity clop, clippity clop, bang bang bang, clippity clop, clippity clop. Amish drive-by. Amish drive-by. On a horse. On a horse. 
Couldn't believe it. A barn on Bain. We're in a barn on Bainbridge actually right now. Yeah, right now yeah. we are. We're no, we're not. Bar. No, we're you can't say that. Oh, you can't say Legally, that? you can't say that. Oh. This is Studio 15. Oh, we're in Studio... It says 16 on the wall. Yeah, and the camera says 15. Oh, okay. Wow. We're in Studio 15. Technically, if you think a, about it... Go ahead. Technically, if you think about it, we actually don't know where we are. There's no confirmation of anything that's outside until we go out there and visually confirm it. Hey, right. On, on a scale of one, 1 to 15, how old do you think that kid is that Michael Jackson diddled? Nine. Man, I'm just falling flat with the comics here. <laughs> Nine? <laughs> oh, dear. It, come on. I, my favorite yeah. Michael Jackson joke, if you want to do some Michael oh. Jackson jokes, was uh, Michael Jackson and Walmart have two things in common. They both have boys' pants 50% off. Ouch. There you go. Ba-dum-bum. Thank you. Too Wait, soon? Rim shot. No. It's it's never too dead. soon. Dead never since. You know what? When he died, ago, so. this, this, is, this is such a funny story about when he died. So I was in L.A., I think it was 09, if I'm not mistaken, like September of 09. I just moved here, but I was flying down there every weekend. Because, again, when I did my radio show, I didn't tell them I moved. So I was flying down every weekend to do my, my Saturday afternoon show. Because I, I started on August 1st of 09. We moved here September 1st of 09. And I never told CBS I moved. And I went six months. Because my business, I had to fly down there anyway. So I didn't tell them I moved. And about six months later, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. And the guy's like, uh, it's radio. You don't have, you to, don't be have here. to be here. <laughs> All we need we is We just your need voice. your voice. Can you? Just... <laughs> they knew it back then, too. So huh? I set up an ISDN line in my house, and I did a live show from my upstairs uh, spare bedroom in my underwear on Saturday mornings. And see, now, well, maybe not now, but in a few years, you can hire AI Dan to do that. Right. You just pre-program and put him in the studio. It's like Aradan, AI Dan. There you go. But the Michael Jackson died, and then Farrah Fawcett died, mm-hmm. and then Ed McMahon died. Always happens in threes, right? So everybody's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then who who died next? The same time, the actor or not the actor the uh, the guy that did OxyClean. Oh I yeah, forget his uh, name. Uh, Billy uh, Billy 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 Mays. Mays Billy Mays Billy Mays. Yeah, the guy did the infomercial. Up, hit his head on an airplane turbulence and then was out. Right. Something. Yeah, yeah, and he was all coked up too. They yeah. found. Yeah, it turns out that OxyClean that white powder was special powder. Ah. But it's I think funny it was that more than cleaning your. He had that OxyClean. It's just cash. funny that they're like, oh my god, Michael Jackson died. Oh my God, Farrah Fawcett. Oh my God, Ed McMahon died. Well, that's three. But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> and it's Billy Mays. Hi, Billy Mays here. So what I want to know is when Michael Jackson died, after there was uh, just a flood of Michael Jackson jokes after that that came up. You know, some time passed, and then now you got to. So Prince dies. Nobody's making Prince jokes. They didn't make Prince jokes before, really. Well, he didn't no, molest we, people. We well, respected Prince. Ah, uh, that's the difference. He's a vegan with bad hips. Hmm. Yeah, he did have bad hips. How come? Platform shoes, diving off the stage. Yeah. Ah. He was a Jehovah's Witness, too, and he would literally go to people's houses as Prince what, Marshall. Rogers Nelson. Prince Rogers no, Nelson. Pr- Prince Elder. Yes, and he would just show up, <laughs> and he'd be like, can I talk to you a little bit about, and, and they're like, are, are, are you Prince? <laughs> so here's, it, and these guys show up at the door occasionally, and I always tell them, you know, Thanks very much. I, you know, wish you best of luck. Prince shows up to my door to tell me come about anything. You come on in. Come on in. Sit down. Let me get you. Would, would you like some coffee? Oh, no, you don't drink coffee. All right, what can I get for you? You know, Prince is sitting down. He's going to give me 100% of that spiel. I don't care what it is. Right. I'm buying whatever Prince is selling. I, I'm painting the house purple while he's there. There you go. Like, why? I don't get why there weren't so many more in Minneapolis. Like, everyone should be a Jehovah's Witness. If you can get Prince to come to your house. Good grief. It's too cold. Nobody answered the door. I would, I would absolutely invite Prince in to talk about Jehovah. Who the hell is Jehovah anyway? Who the hell? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is Jehovah? 
What is this shit? Does, do you know who Jehovah is? Jehovah's God to them. Wait, and, and to them. To them, <laughs> those people. Oh, okay. So it's just another way, another word. It's like, uh, what's the other guy? Allah? And you got Jesus Allah, Christ. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the other guy. Jesus. Uh, God. Is there? Buddha? Is Buddha one of them? See, the, I, I'm, well Jew, I'm Jewish, so I mean, I, I, we, we Yeah, who's f- your guy? First name basis, God. We cut it's out the middleman. There's no middleman with the Jews. We're like, right and to how God. Come, how come there's no son? How come there's no son of God in Judaism? Because you, there's God's God. Yeah. Yeah, but Jesus, he was Jewish, and you won't accept him. I don't have to accept. What do I, what do I accept? <laughs> See, I accept Visa MasterCard. Is that good is enough? This is the kind of discussion we could have with Prince. He comes to the house. Listen, come on in. Sit down. If Who's I had Jehovah? the time, I would let them come in my house, and I would just talk, start talking about my satanic worship that I do. Good. You guys are here. Perfect. Come here. Come on downstairs. Fun story. 1990. I'm at my house and knock at the door. Guy comes to me. He's dressed nicely. And I say, yeah. Oh, well, I'm here to such and such. Talk about these things. If you'd like to earn a little extra money. And there's, I go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I getting Amwayed here? Is that what's going on? (laughs) I'm getting Amwayed. Hashtag Amwayed. And and the guy goes, well, uh, yeah, it's about that. I said, look. No, this is network marketing. Yeah. I was like, I've never been Amwayed before, but- this is something I know I don't want to do ever in my life. So what I'd like you to do is come in, sit down, give me the first level, right? Because there's a like introductory. It's multi-level. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I want you to give me that first level. Give me the base of the pyramid, yeah. please. And um, just go through it. It'll be good practice for you. And it'll be an opportunity for me to know next time anybody comes to Amway at my front door, I can shut them down immediately by telling them, I've been through the first level. Wasn't my thing. Thank you very much. Move on. So, so you he, bought 10,000 pounds of I, laundry soap. <laughs> No, I bought nothing. I bought nothing, but I was Amway for a half an hour. Fascinating process. I learned something. I've and gotten in a couple of those. Have you? The concept of multi-level marketing to me always seemed like fun. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. So I just get three of my friends, and they get three of their friends, and they get three of their friends. Then I realized you have no friends. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, one or two that might go along with it. But I had somebody that sucked, suckered me into Amway. But it was network marketing. So when they first came up with that terminology that oh, they're yeah. calling it network marketing, and you could, oh, these are products you're going to buy anyway. You're already buying these products. So, so just buy them from us. So what I told the guy was, look, basically this pyramid is built on your dead friends. That's basically what the pyramid is about, like the pyramids of Egypt. They're built right. on your dead friends, if you think about it. So you're building up, you get to the top, and by the time you're at the top, it's great. But you could only one person could stand on that point. Right. And it's either aliens or Jewish slaves. One of the two are building a pyramid. Or Thetans. Maybe. I'll have to look that up. No, that's from, uh, what are the Scientologists? Oh, the Scientologists. That's a whole other... Nah. A religion based on a book written by a guy. Yes. Wait a minute. That's well, he, all religions, actually. Uh, he, he wrote a lot of books. And at least he wrote a book when some of these people were still alive. We go back to the Bible, and it was told to somebody else, and somebody yeah. else, and somebody yeah. else, and then somebody wrote it, and then another person rewrote it, and another wrote I can't tell you a story that I heard last week and get it 80% accurate. That's right. It's all- it's I all, couldn't tell the story he just told about Jehovah's Witnesses right now and get it 90% accurate. He the, just told it. Like playing phone when you're yeah. a yeah. kid. That's, that's the game, right? Telephone. Yeah. You whisper in somebody's ear, they whisper yeah. it to the next Johnny person. and their mothers are going to the Savoy. Yeah. What movie? Oh, 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 wait. I'll get- uh, uh, oh, no, no, uh, wait, I'll get uh, it. Debbie Does back Dallas? Back to the Future. No, not Back to the Future. Oh. Uh, Johnny Dangerously. Johnny Dangerously. They do the whole thing with Michael Keaton. Okay. It was uh, like 81, 82. Yeah. And they do a whole thing where they're they're, they're like, uh, I think the original one was he goes, uh, Johnny's mom is coming to break him out tonight, you know, pass it on. And they're like, and by the time he gets around, it's like, Johnny and his mother is playing at the Savoy Theater. He goes, Johnny's breaking out tonight. Like he translates it back all the way to the beginning. 
It's a very funny movie. Is Michael Keaton an underappreciated actor? Yes, absolutely. He's an I asshole, but a very underappreciated he actor. He is one of the finest talents in Hollywood, I believe. I was in a movie with him. Were you? I was. Which one? It was called Desperate Measures, filmed oh. in Pittsburgh. We're both Pittsburgh guys. Me and Michael Douglas, his real name. Michael Douglas. Couldn't be Michael Douglas because there are already two of them. Right. And you can't have three. So he was Keaton, like so he, Buster Keaton. He, I Diane Keaton, actually. In he chose it as Diane Keaton. That's oh. why he, he picked Keaton for Diane Keaton. Really? Uh huh. Okay. And there was a movie called uh, Desperate Measures starring Andy Garcia. And Andy Garcia's son has a rare form of blood cancer. Needs to be cured. There's only one person in the entire world that's a match, and it's this horrible murderer played by Michael Keaton. And so he breaks out of the prison, and, he, and yeah, that's I'm I'm a SWAT guy, I'm an I'm an extra, I'm a SWAT guy, and I'm a doctor, and the the two scenes are very close to each other. So if you're really paying attention, the doctor walking behind all of a sudden is a SWAT guy. Like five minutes later, I'm Doctor SWAT was my character. Doctor SWAT. Yes. That's a movie. But in Michael itself. Keaton's a method actor and he stays in character the entire time. He was an asshole. Speaking but of But he was playing an actor. asshole, so maybe he maybe he's not. Did you see the thing where Jim Carrey Oh yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. That was unbelievable. Jim Carrey, there's a documentary about the making of the uh Andy uh Man Kaufman, the Kaufman movie. Yeah, I saw that and I've been watching these motivational tapes he's been putting out on YouTube. That are just yeah. phenomenal. And... He's a very intelligent guy. A lot of people don't give him the credit he deserves. Uh, Jim Carrey is a very, very uh, uh, spiritually aware and intellectual guy, and and you know he doesn't. He's had a hard life too. Yeah, yeah, very much. Lived so. in his car for a while. Yeah, I think most comedians draw from a hard life. Well, yeah, I, I think you have to because comedy is one of those things that if you're not going to laugh at the entire experience of being human. Which is, for all intents and purposes, if you think about the most ridiculous scenario for any spiritual thing to experience, it, humanness is pretty much like one of the strangest things you could possibly ever conjure up. And if you think about it outside the context of what we understand, we're going to give you this plasmic sort of cellular structure that you're going to wander around a physical environment in, and you're going to be subject to disease and pain and suffering and all of these things. Emotions, yeah. Yeah, but you're also going to get joy and, and laughter and love, and none of that stuff you can really define until you're physically embodied here. So with comedy, you go through these ups and downs, and your medicine, so to speak, is to look at all that stuff, identify it, understand it, and ultimately mock it. Rafi went deep there. I know. I was like, holy moly. That hey, was like a, Man, give this kid a show. That was like a Ben Roethlisberger pass to <laughs> Antonio Brown. Bam. And I picked and it up with those sticky fingers. And all of a sudden, I'm doing some Dennis Miller. Bam. <laughs> well, you, you know, I had... Listen, I, I could didn't do, really. I could do other voices for you. Too. One, one magical. One. Ah, ah, ah. one. I had. I. I don't know that I had a hard life. I, you know, middle class Pittsburgh. Out. You know, my dad owned an auto parts store. Didn't have a lot of death or destruction in my life, and then I did. So when you were talking about that, I mean, I in, in a twelve month period, my dad died, and then my business partner dropped dead yeah. in the middle of negotiating, selling our company. So I had these two weird deaths, and and I have a dog that's about to die. I mean, he's seventeen almost, and we're gonna we have to make the choice, and that's the worst. That's a difficult one. But I realized that. A guy, a, a big comedy producer in L.A., I went to pitch a TV show to this guy one time. We're sitting at Jerry's Deli, and my, my wife was pregnant at the time, and he said, the two most important things that ever happened in your life are the birth of your child, your first child. He goes, once you have more, it's not the same. And you've got more than one. You've yeah. got two. Second one's not, it's not the same because it's the first time. It's not worse. It's not better. It's different. It's just not the same. 
So you've got the first child born and when your first parent dies. Those two things, because mm-hmm. it's, it's the first time you lose someone that close. And that hit me. I mean, I was like, and it didn't hit me until literally when, when my business partner dying was, and, and no offense to him, I mean, he was a jerk. And, and I mean, he was, we weren't friends by any means. We just worked together for four and a half years. I only saw him in person eight times. He was in LA, I was here. Talked on the phone every day, four, five, six, eight times a day. And he screamed and yelled at me. And I think he's possessing the president. I'm not sure, but a lot of the actions are he would similar. Do, uh, he would do things like, <laughs> I probably shouldn't put this out in the ether because you know, somebody could hear it, but he would do things like on Monday, he would empty the bank account out on, the, on payroll week and then call me. There's no money in the bank. How are we going to make payroll? I guess I have to save the company again. And somehow he would come up with a way and make a big sale. And by Thursday, miraculously, we have enough money to make payroll. Oh, I did it. I saved the company. Well, that's self-aggrandized narcissism. We are all familiar with that now. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I mean... Let, let's talk about me for a minute. Okay, let's go to you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's a good point because even though... And that's exactly... you. He's so it, vain, I bet he thinks this show is about him. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. It's not. He's it's so vain. These incredible people on this island that's and the incredible you, stories. You see what Dan just did. So he says, you know, I I, I don't have a problem. I didn't have a problem growing up. Middle class, this, and then, and he, and then he goes into the, the problem. had with him. And see, that's the therapy of comedy is that what happens is you go through this, you have this sort of realization and and ultimately what you're telling your audience is hey i don't know why i don't know how and i certainly am not going to tell you how to do it but somehow i survived it and i'm on stage all alone and i'm naked up here and i'm telling you my stories what could be more therapeutic than that and people identify with that people sit in that audience they're looking for connection they're looking for that uh, opportunity to find something about your life that they can laugh at they connect with absolutely and my motivation changed too at some point, probably at the in the past few years, I'm, I it used to be how many laughs per minute can I get, and how can I kill, and you know, can I get a standing ovation, yeah. and yeah. you know, Endorphins. after the show, how many people are gonna come up afterwards and shake my hand, and say, now I thrive for the moment of silence, when I'm on stage and there's that moment, yeah, and you're just you're in between jokes, you you know, you don't want it after a punchline, obviously, you don't want to say, and then she did this, nothing, you don't want that, but. It's just that quick moment where you're taking a sip of water and the room is dead silent. There's 200 people and it's dead silence and they're all with you. That's right. That's a magic moment. They're waiting with you. They're yeah. not waiting for you. They're waiting with right. you. And the, all that all that mental energy that's going on in the audience at that point, they've suspended all their problems. They've suspended all their worries and concerns. And they're with you at that it's moment. group therapy. To, exactly. They're also exactly. seeking out that laughter, that joy, that that endorphin they get from listening to the comedy. Yeah, sure, because it's it's if you think about it, it's our it's one of the last vestiges we have as a humanity of our little tribal fire. We're gathering around and we're telling stories. Dan's journey is the one that's got the headline at this point, and he's up on stage and he's given that information to these people, and it's a little tribal fire. There's no, uh, it's not coincidental that we dim the lights, that people gather around, the light goes on the stage. Two drink minimum. Two drink minimum, exactly. <laughs> Try the veal, tip your waitress. Do you know, restaurants even serve uh, veal anymore? No, I don't think they ever did. Uh, comedy clubs definitely didn't. Never Italian served veal. restaurants served the veal. Oh, yeah, veal parmesan. Veal parmesan. The other thing, Buddy Hackett always had a line, and I've got a small Buddy Hackett story, but Buddy Hackett Buddy always Hackett said- stories are small. If, yeah. Hey, what are you talking about? If you, if you do something before you step behind the microphone, and Jay Moore is actually the one who I heard telling this story because he was very tight with Buddy Hackett. If you do something before, if you get the audience to laugh before you get behind the microphone, the entire audience gets behind the microphone with you. 
So a lot of comics come out, grab the way, hey, what's everybody doing? How you doing? How you doing? You know, they do that move. Whereas if you come out and you point or you high five somebody or you make a funny face, you just before you even say anything, if you can get the audience to laugh, then as soon as you get behind the mic, they're already with you. And that's been I, I heard that's fifteen years ago. And that's that's absolutely true for pretty much any presentation. I'm a, a, a college professor and I, I teach in the fall and when I start my classes, one of the first things I do, because I'm, uh, you know, I've done this. For and you're years. a Renaissance man. I'm, a, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm worried, so I, I go around the class and I just, I meet and chat with a couple of students beforehand, and I make contact with them. And then when I go into the front of the class, they're not strangers to me, and they're also putting out the vibe that, oh, this person took the time to get to know me. Same thing with the presentation. If I'm going to do a presentation, I want to shake hands with a couple of people, and then. If I'm ever feeling a little worried up there, I get a tense moment up in the I just make eye contact with one of the people I previously contacted and I just I automatically feel good about it. Well, when I taught comedy traffic school in Florida, there you go. I used to sit in the I used to cuz we we'd set up in a hotel room and one of the tricks we did is if we had 40 people scheduled, we'd only set up 30 seats because that way you don't have the front rows empty and I would sit in one of the seats and I just sit there. And people start coming in, and I, they didn't know if I was the teacher. They didn't know what – they had no idea who I was. Yeah. And I just start talking about stuff, and then I go, when is this class going to start? And all of a sudden, I just walk up and start. And they're like – the people say, oh, my God, you, you, you were, were just here. Now you're there. You're oh, the no. guy. Look at Dan. What a pioneer. Breaking the fourth wall in comedy oh, I love breaking the fourth school. wall. The other thing that's great a, to do – pro intro. Yeah. Well, I, I actually wrote a book about hosting comedy shows. And one of the things that I said was if, if there's no MC. You have to be your own MC. Yeah. So a lot of shows, it used to always be MC feature headliner. That was the standard. 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. That was your show. And it was 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. It was, I mean, it was almost, that's how everything went. And then it changed. People got cheap. And they yeah, said, it's okay. 15, right? It's like nothing now. <laughs> and some clubs don't even pay the MCs. And, you know, I because a couple of clubs, I, I used to do some of the workshops. I, I would say, hey, come out, I'll teach you how to MC. And, you know, it's free. Just buy my book. That's basically how I made my money. Pay your 20 bucks, buy my book, and I'll come. In. And I'd have 50 people buying my book at once. Book's out of print now, by the way. You ought to do a second edition. It's still in print. Is it? Oh, yeah. It's oh. a print on demand. You can buy, you can get whatever you want. I got a signed copy. Do you? I do. Oh, my God. Yeah. You and my mom, I think, are there, too. Well, I had your mom sign. But what I said, what I... Oh, it's signed by my mom. I didn't say it was signed by you. You just said it was a signed copy. So, so what I did was, is you go up on stage... And you do all the announcements, because now it went from being a three-person show to a two-person show. So you go up on stage, you do all the announcements, if you're now the feature host, and you say, you know, please turn your cell phones off, the bathrooms are back, if you need to go, please do, you do everything. We've got drink specials, are you guys ready for the show? We've got a very, first comic, great guy, very, very funny, uh, tall guy, very good looking. Put your hands together for Dan Rosenberg. There you go. And you walk off stage, and then you come right back out. Thank you, big hand for that guy. <laughs> and you just introduced yourself. Gotcha. And well, it, it just gets the audience, again, behind the mic with yeah. you. Well, and you know, I was thinking about this just the other day. It's a good time to point it out. Is if you think about how much our lives have changed uh, in community ways, comedy is a bigger part of our life than it's ever been. We see more of it in our news. We see more of it in our media and entertainment. Oh, you I, go, I, I kind of disagree. Oh, I feel like now. Do you mean stand-up comedy or just comedy? When was the last time you were on a Southwest airline? They do comedy now. When they do their, uh, you know, this is the safety stuff, and here are where the things are. They're they're doing it. Virgin in, Airways had with, a really funny video with a too. comedic presentation, and because it gets people's attention, and it gets the audience to think, oh, 
we're actually getting something more than general information. Disarms them a bit, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Comedy Traffic School is a proven fact that if you did four hours of, of and made it entertaining, 80% of the people retained the information six months later versus the dry, retired ex-cop yelling at you for four hours. It was like 30%. And the number of people that got tickets again in the next three years, if they took comedy traffic school, was like 1% versus 15%. It was that much better. And that's why they approved. I mean, the state of Florida, not exactly a, a liberal state, they approved comedians to teach traffic school. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I did like 400 classes in a two-year period, four hours each, and it made me a better comedian too because I've Absolutely. got I've got you know 30 to 40 to 50 people yeah. sober – for four hours, who don't want to be sober. there, on a set. Yeah, yeah. There, I did have a couple drunks, but I had some celebrities. I mean, I had Liberty DeVito, the drummer from Billy Joel, was in one of my classes. There you go. My friend, when he taught in L.A., had Steve Gutenberg in his class. Had Steve. Had Roger or Robert Why is Blake he in traffic school. Well, he, apparently these guys drive. Who knew? Who yeah, knew? They, they drive and get tickets, and they they still go. Well, Rafi, what I was going to say is we've over politically corrected. Ah. And I think it's difficult for comedians now. Bing, bing, bing. You start talking, like Richard Pryor, yeah. uh, Red Fox, Lenny Bruce, Eddie Murphy, even Chris Rock to a lesser extent cannot do Chris what they Chris Rock, re- you just repeat the joke again. <laughs> repeat <laughs> the joke again. In between. You but yeah, you're absolutely right. I have jokes I had to edit. I was in the middle of doing a joke. I was at a casino a couple weeks ago, and I had to stop and go, I can't. You can't say I that can't joke. Do this joke. The other thing you can't do, like you used to be able to do, there's certain voices and voice characterizations you can't do generally because people Excuse will think, me. People will think you culturally, you know, stolen. Yeah. I had uh, my joke Comedy's was to I'm going to do it here. Yeah, I'm going to do my joke here. Yeah, I had, there's I, no filter here. Go I had ahead. a dream. Well, this is kind of a filter. I had a dream. <laughs> I have a dream. I had a dream. I had a dream. I'm such a bad actor. I had a dream. I wasn't even in it. That's how bad of an actor I am. Well, you didn't your get acting credits are uncredited. <laughs> yes. This you didn't is, get the part in your I didn't get dream. the part of me. And what sucks is, that's you know like, who got it? David freaking Hasselhoff got the part of me. That's how bad I am. to the Hoff. So I'm driving down the street of my hometown in that black car of his. And some of the audience always goes, Kit. I go, yes. Yeah. yeah. I go, I mean, Kit, come on. That, that A trans am? That voice is a little too effeminate to be a trans am. Transgender? Trans... trans <laughs> Vestite, maybe, but not a Trans Am. And as I'm about to do the joke, I go, I can't do this joke now because if you make fun of trans, there could be someone sitting in the audience who goes, my sister's a transvestite. Or worse, there could be somebody sitting in the audience that owns a Trans Am. Yeah, they might be offended. (laughs) Are you offended as a transvestite? No, I'm offended as a car owner. (laughs) I own a Trans Am. Or they're offended they don't have a bathroom with their label on it. You know, it's it's nuts. Uh, Whatever you look like, that's the bathroom you use. Uh, Toilets are all the same shape. That's true. Yeah, they're all shitholes. They're all shitholes. <laughs> oh, man, why you got to drive drag African country into this? That is a political term. Uh, but then I had another joke. I talk about 411, that you call 411, you get this gay automated voice. Yeah. And I used to say that it was gay automated, then I had to change to effeminate, and now I can't even do the joke. Can't do the joke Because anymore. it turns into a Helen Keller joke, but uh-huh. it's not really a Helen Keller joke. It's an Alabama. I mean- it's offen- I have jokes now that are considered offensive. I used to do a joke about my I had two ex-girlfriends. Both had the same name, which was Chris. Both had the same last name, ironically, which was that bitch. And you can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> See, I could do the Trump thing where I would say, I can't say this and then say it, but I'm not going to say it. You could do that now. But I, like I, I lost literally 20. And I now, wasn't an offensive comedian by any means. Now, I was. Why I, can't you do the that bitch joke? I don't know. Because- 
people, if you, if you call women a bitch, it's, you know, me too. Hmm. I don't know. I, the one thing I'm glad with the whole Aziz and Zari, yeah. you know, the whole thing oh, that yeah. Yeah. the woman came out and said, that this morning. you know what? You had a bad date. You did. You were not sexually assaulted. You had a, a bad date. You went back to his place. He didn't rape you. You're not even saying he raped you. He just did weird shit to you. And you participated. You could have left. And you stayed. And years later, you decide you're going to tell the story. And what's he doing on some dating site as a... I know. I don't understand. Guy. I don't understand any you of those things. You don't see Brad Pitt on Tinder. You know what's funny is the, the guy from Modern Family was on Howard Stern like a, a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy that plays Cameron, yeah. who's not gay in real life, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm on Tinder all the time," and he goes, and, and people go, "Is that really you?" And he's like, "Yeah," and he goes on dates. And he goes, "Yeah," and you know, I, I bang these chicks. It's so weird to hear him say that because you think of him <laughs> as Cam, like. <laughs> hey, we all thought differently about Mr. Brady, right? <laughs> yeah. Well. It makes sense to he was busy with three boys of his own. Oh dear. No! T Ray, that's yours. There's a old comedian friend of mine named T Ray that used to do that joke. A little shout out for the T. Yeah. I always give credit where credit is due. Rafi. Yes. On stage. On stage. Worst bomb of your life. Tell me about oh, it. Oh jeez. Worst bomb of my life. On stage. The majority of your on stage stuff though is music, isn't it? Well, that's true. I do a lot of music on stage and I it's it's hard and to bomb in music. I've I've not I've never bombed in music because you have the opportunity to prepare ahead of time. You know the general, you know, chord structures and things like that. Um, I've had the situation where I take lead vocal on a song and and the band goes, "All right, let's do uh, boom." And we're going into it and there's a brief intro in it and I'm playing and playing and playing and I'm thinking I'm vamping now, baby, because I have no idea how to start this song. I don't know the words. <laughs> I don't know the words. And I have no idea why it doesn't happen, but sometimes it happens. And I'm looking over at the bass player, and the bass player is going, you don't know the words. You don't know the words. And so repeat, you start And then he'll mouth them to me. The first word is, I'm, and I go, oh, got it. I'm sitting, oh. The first word is, God bless America. <laughs> so that would be, I mean, that's the only situa situation I can think of. Um, we did a uh, last year at BPA. There were some questions that came from the audience trying to stump me on certain things, and uh, there was the biggest dog and the smallest dog, and uh, I had in my head the two answers that I was going to use, and then I could not think of the word of the name of the big dog, which is the mastiff, and and I, I'm thinking I don't know what it is, and I opened my mouth and mastiff came out, and it was just like I didn't even know that it was going to happen. And boom, it was on it autopilot. Was it was on autopilot. Uh, yeah, so I can't think of any time where I've completely bombed on stage. Dan? I know exactly when it happened. <laughs> was it a November 5th, 1980? No. Uh, Keith Hernandez. It was, uh, <laughs> I was in, yeah, I always do sign for references. I was in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus. Columbus, whole Ohio. City bombed. Uh, that's where the whole uh, The Earth is Flat came from. That's right. In Columbus, Ohio? Sure. Yeah. That's where, uh, you know. It's named after Columbus. Yes. Okay. That's flat. Man, I am bombing. I, here, here is a shout out to everybody that thinks they're funny in real life and sits in with two comedians, tries to tell some bad jokes, and there's just silence. Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to throw in a laugh track on everything uh, I say. A, a lot of comedy is just the pause and the voice inflection. Have you seen the thing where um, uh, the two comedians are sitting across from each other? Uh, and they're, oh, they're yeah, telling yeah. bad jokes. Two ferns? Yeah, no, it's not two ferns. 
And yeah, it's just, it's just they, they each tell a joke, you've got to crack the other one and up. And you've got to crack the other one up. And a lo- it's just inflection. Oh, yeah, Rock and Kevin Hart were doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where they had to stare at each other and, uh, yeah. and not laugh, and they had to repeat. So I'd, right. I'd say, you have a curved eyebrow. And right. then you'd come back at me and say, you have a curved eyebrow yeah. and a big nose. Well, you have a curved eyebrow, big nose, and a, no I would lips. laugh immediately just to end it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. So I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I just started stand-up. And a guy came up to me. I had a joke about a Jewish version of Jeopardy. It was called Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Because <laughs> the Price is Right was already taken. Couldn't use that name. Price uh, is wrong, bitch. And, 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 the, and the, in Jeopardy, you answered, instead of answering the form of a question, answering the form of a question, you answered the form uh, of a que- Wait. Instead of answering the form of a question, you answered a question in the form of another question. Because uh, that's the Jewish that's way to Jewish. do it. <laughs> and so the guy comes up to me after the show. He goes, hey, so you're Jewish. I'm like, yeah. He goes, uh, do you have like, more material than that? I go, yeah, because I did like, it was, I was a 15 minute opening act. He goes, would you like to come to Columbus, Ohio the day after Christmas to do a Jewish show for this Jewish community center there? We're going to do a big day after Christmas show, all Jewish comedians. Yeah. He goes, do you think you can do like a half hour? I go, yeah, okay. So I get to Columbus, Ohio, and it paid like 400 bucks. And to me, at that point, that was the most I'd ever made. I mean, I think I made $15 or $50 before Plus, that. it's Columbus. You can stay overnight in the best hotel for 9 bucks a night. No. It, well, they put me up. Oh, they did? Yeah. There it was go. at the Hilton. It was the Hilton That's Hotel. bucks. Yeah. It was in in, uh, <laughs> in Worthington, Ohio, right outside of Columbus. Worthington. So I, I get there, and I'm sitting around the table. And this is a Jewish show. I'm using finger quotes for the audience because it's radio. You should use finger quotes. Or it's a podcast. Go. So- you got a quote it's, around the mic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's right here. It's me, a red-haired woman, a black guy, and an Asian guy. And I'm looking, going, "There's no way." Wait, so I'm like, "So this is a Jewish show?" She goes, "Oh yeah, well my husband's Jewish." Oh, okay, and the black is, "Well, I was raised by a Jewish family." I'm like, "Okay," and the Asian guy he goes, "Well, they do eat Chinese on Christmas," <laughs> and I go, "So you local? They're all local." And I'm thinking this is the only the closest they could get to Jews. They had to import one from Pittsburgh. It's the only way they could get a, a, a real Jew. So as we're talking, I'm realizing I'm the headliner. Like none of these people are all open micers. One of them had never been paid for comedy before. Oof. And they're all saying, oh, I'm, oh, he told me I'm doing 10 minutes. Oh, he told me I'm doing 10 minutes. And so I find, and at first I'm cocky. I'm like, this is great. I'm the headliner. I had, I had a brand new blazer. It was a red houndstooth Very blazer. Nice. And Ooh. I'm like, I'm, I'm, nice. I'm going to be, I'm Hound's the shit. Tooth. How many oh. dogs do you think they killed to make that jacket? Oh, a lot of teeth. They didn't kill them. They just take the teeth out. Oh. So I get up on stage. <laughs> a dog without teeth. Yeah. I just imagine oh, every time I see a dog without teeth, I go, oh. They made a jacket out of them. Yeah. Stan's jacket. Yep. Poor dog. Yeah. The red was the blood. And I get up on stage, and I am killing. You're killing. 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 And I look at my watch. I'm out of material, and I'm eight minutes in. Oh. Ouch. And I had 40 to go. Oof. I had nothing. Nothing after Nothing. That. And so I, what do you do? I just start ad-libbing, and I start doing impressions. I'm like, hey. Uh, uh, any young man. Yeah, you guys, no, I goes, you guys, name anybody in person. And some guy in the back goes, how about a comedian? <laughs> so I was like, all right. All right, a comedian. Sir, would you like to come up here and help me? Yeah, you think it's easy? Come on up. That's I don't remember always... what else I did, but come somehow on. I survived it, and that was the biggest bomb I ever had. And I literally, knock wood, never bombed again i had some bad shows but i never got to, i've never i'd never been booed yeah, never see, really been heckled comedy is the only job that i'm ever aware of where you actually where heckling is a part of it and it's acceptable you imagine any other job where you're getting heckled imagine that it would be insane yeah 
you know. But imagine you get a plumber come to your house and he's working on the 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 toilet, for example, and you get a crowd of people to come in and heckle his work. Nice how's ass that? crack. Yeah, how is he? You know, don't quarter in a, there. You just at, got played. Look at that screwdriver. What's you know, <laughs> what are you paying you? Ninety bucks an hour. And what is that a Phillips? Fifty year old screwdriver. Yeah. Comedy. Everybody <laughs> accepts it. Imagine you go to church. Imagine getting heckled. The priest gets heckled for well, God's sake. The Canadians sakes. don't. Isn't there some strict? Uh... Oh, you're not allowed to uh, to heckle if you're Canadian. No, no, no. I think Yuck Yucks comedy has a law, role. Comedy laws in uh, Canada. Really? If you, uh, I believe, and don't quote me because I don't fact check here on the bystander. There is some um, things that are off limits. Huh. So you you can't use X amount of vulgarity, or you can't attack this. Uh, I don't know if that's a federal. You heard me creak back in. Like, what? I don't know that that's necessarily Canadian law. I know that Yuck Yucks is a huge club chain up there, and they have very strict rules. No, that's they Buck Lux. Buck Lux. I don't know what that is. So Yuck Yucks. What's a Buck Luck? A Muck Luck. Oh, Muck Luck. Yeah. Oh, Muck Luck. Of course, I still have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, so exactly. Nod yeah. your head. Oh, sure. Just stare at the Muck Nucks. Muck Nuck. Who's there? <laughs> Uh, but Yuck Yucks is, I mean, they're they own the comedy market up there. Like they have a club in almost every province. Mm. Yes, there are no states in Canada. Yes, they're provinces. Yes, it's but very formal. Vancouver with well, an extra multi, U in it. Multilingual. Vancouver. Vancouver. But Montreal. Oh, going going all the way back to the beginning. This is a fun. This kind of ties back to my earlier story. I got to go to the Montreal Comedy Festival where we saw that video of. The Frantics doing every episode of Star Trek in, in under three minutes, and <laughs> I went in the year 2000 as an as an executive of HumorVision.com, which was the the radio station where I worked for in New Orleans was an internet station. It's kind of genius if you think about it. In 1999, they started an internet radio station doing live on the internet. No one had broadband yet, so it was still dial up, live internet streaming songs and talk shows and we had we had a little camera like that up on the wall and you could see us and my, my parents were watching Pennsylvania and we're on Bourbon Street in a glass encased studio and you heard a song you like you click a button you could download it for 99 cents iPods came out two years later so they weren't even out yet so the regular idea of downloading music didn't exist so we did a show it it a year and a half, it went away, but they kept me on board to do a comedy site, and I convinced them I needed to go to the comedy festival. And they said, okay, well, how much is it? I, go, I don't know. So I go online. The most expensive pass is the express pass. You get shuttled around to everything because it's for network executives. Which this was is when, Well, this is when the dot-coms were, like, taking off. So if you had a, if you had a dot-com, you know, laugh.com was there, and we're humorvision.com. Sure. So I got the $600 pass, and I'm getting shuttled all over the place, and I look important. And I worked my way into I worked my way into actually performing on a show because somebody's like, well, this guy's pretty important. We better let him perform. Yeah. So I got in and I ended up performing. I went seven years. I performed every every time I went. Never auditioned for the comedy festival. It's like the most prestigious festival. Yeah, it's huge. I'm listed as an alumni now. I don't know if it's still on the website, but you know, fake it till you make it, huh? Yeah. Like people like Lisa Lampanelli. Mm. She was crashing it one year. She was a nobody, and uh, she's hilarious. I got to introduce her. Uh, Bill Maher, Carrot Top. The other Scott Thompson, because Carrot Top's real name is Scott Thompson. That's a funny story. Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall is very gay, hmm. and Carrot Top's real name is Scott Thompson. So he's in Montreal. They're both there at the same time. Carrot Top answers his door, and there's a male prostitute at the door. And he's like, <laughs> wrong Scott, and he slams the door shut. <laughs> I'm like, did he have props? I mean, <laughs> I've got 
I was going to do a one-man show called uh, Brushes because I've had oh, a lot yeah. of brushes with fame, but I've never been famous. Like, like I did that that night of the show yeah. last year. Brushes. Name any famous person, and I had a story about them. Kevin Bacon. I am one degree, two degrees from Kevin Bacon. Tell me. I was in P.S. Your Cat is Dead with Steve Gutenberg, who was in Diner with Kevin Bacon. Ah, there All you right. go. Two degrees. Two degrees. That's pretty, pretty close. high level. Unless you actually worked with them, that's as close as you can get. Yeah, I gave up bacon. Yeah. My son loves pigs, so he won't eat bacon. But instead of telling people he won't eat pork because he loves pigs, he just says he's Jewish. There you go. <laughs> that works. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we don't keep kosher, but for pigs we do. He just likes pigs. He's got famous people, too. That's because he grew up in L.A. So, I mean, you can lot drop of names and people. he's got all kinds gotcha, of stories. A gotcha. lot of famous people. And they were everywhere. You couldn't, you couldn't, I mean. Yeah, they, they kind of hang out they there. They kind of live <laughs> I'm, I'm in. I'm in the line for the bank, and I'm standing behind Farrah Fawcett. And she's got the, you I know, bet you are. thing <laughs> with this and the Feathered hair, hair and all that and stuff. And she's got the giant sunglasses on. And I lean over, because you're in line, and there are four or five people in front of you. Farrah. So you're you're Farrah Fawcett, aren't you? And she turns around. She goes, "Yes, maybe, <laughs> yes." And I and you know I'm in high school. I said, "Yeah, I have a boner." W- w- will you will you sign my math book? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> so she signed your math book. Yeah, you know it had one of those uh, uh, oh the paper cover covers yeah. that you put on all your books, and uh, so she signed the top of my math book. Yeah. Wow. I saw Vanna White when I was in high school at Tower Records. Brought her a bouquet of flowers and put on my suit. And I look at the picture now. It's way before selfies. You know, it's like '83, yeah. I think, yeah, or whatever. Oh, grainy man. photo. What city was that? What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> Seattle. Oh, I mean, so, you, so you're you've, you've grown up. You're from here. No, I'm still short. Um, but yes, <laughs> I'm I mean, from Seattle. So you grew up here, Seattle. Yeah. Um, born in Bothell, and then moved to Belltown before the big boom of yeah. buildings. You've, and just, stuff like you've that. just done three, four B's in a row. Yeah. And now I'm big on boom B. of buildings. I. And now you're on Bainbridge Island. Belltown. Yeah. You like bees. Sakes. Yes, I do. Save the bees. Hashtag save the bees. Belltown. Now, Belltown, that's a place. I, I, I lived in Kirkland for like five years in yuppie the 90s. Scum. And yuppie car scum. Yeah, well, that was, bef- <laughs> that was before it was yuppie, to be fair. I had a valet parking company out there. With Did you? With the third floor fish cafe. And yeah, Anthony's I remember that. And, I remember um, the fish cafe. We used to go there and... The piano bar there? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a nice place. Times. And that was when Kirkland, you could get a nice house for 150 grand. Yeah, and d- slices of pizza, Da Vinci's Pizza. Exactly, with the fantastic pizza. See, times. to me, Kirkland's just a cheap Costco brand. <laughs> That's what I knew Kirkland as. When I got him, I'm like, oh, okay, Costco's from here, and they named it Kirkland. All right, I get it. I actually worked for the Brotman Brothers and um, Old Man Bernie. And they started Costco. Yeah. And they lived in Kirkland. Sure. So I wonder they, if yeah. that brand. I bet, I bet you. And where, but did Bernie always do the 1% of the top 1% of the top 1%? <laughs> that's excellent. Different Bernie? <laughs> but yeah. that's, you know, that's what Kirkland used to be like. And frankly, that's what a lot of the, you know, cities close to the water used to be like. I, I, Belltown, for God's sakes, was kind of a scary place. Super sketch. And now you go there. I mean, the worst thing that might happen to you is you'd have to spend, you know, 10 minutes waiting for an Uber instead of five. <laughs> yeah, it was pre-Uber, pre-buildings. I mean... It was pre-everything. The building that I lived in, the building that went next to it, it was million-dollar apartments with palm oh, yeah. entry. And that, you know, my entire existence in Belltown, that was just a vacant lot with crack yeah. addicts and yeah. heroin addicts and yeah. shootings. 
Yeah. Must have ran into three people coming out of convenience this, stores with guns in their hands and money and cigarettes and this booze. is the, like all the giveaway cigarettes in there. <laughs> this is the problem with a lot of communities around the world today, not just in more of the affluent communities. You're never going to have that kind of environment where you can foster something like the grunge movement, which was critical to the music industry. Critical. Yeah. I mean, you look at 1991. It's when Nirvana came out and 1077 the end. Yeah. And then MTV came in and did uh, Real World Seattle, and they oh, I they remember did a that. show that was right at the pier the behind my yeah. Uh, place. Yeah, and that, that was the very first Real World, and it was nuts. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, how are you going to have a, a band come together today? Most bands think they're going to get famous by going on some of these pop shows or coming to Seattle. Well, but, yeah, it but doesn't I mean, really what, exist what's going to happen? You come to Seattle, what's going to happen? You're going to pay hundred, you're going to play hundred dollar bars where you. Put tip jar out and you're lucky if you get 50 bucks at the end of the night well plus pioneer square used to be the place with the music and it was yeah. one cover for 15 clubs back in the day so yeah. you could really see alice and change sound chains sound garden yeah. um, bands like that all over the city you could just hop club to club we just did a podcast about the capitol hill massacre um here on the bystander and we kind of got into what was going on and there was no internet back then and there was all these great bands coming out of Seattle and then there was the electronic dance movement and yeah. raves coming out yeah. and <laughs> nice and you hear about uh, Soundgarden at, at one club and a rave at another club yeah. and there was a lot of pressure to find the next cool hot thing right but it was all ground level yeah. It was organic, right. and, and it was, it, and it was very it, much a. It was a sensorial experience. You get the music, you get the the vibe. You know, you'd get what's happening visually on stage. It was, for all intents and purposes, the internet before the internet. But your requirement was to actually physically be there. That's not the case these days. That's be why present. Yeah, that's why people they're so quick. You know, they can get this in five, six, ten seconds. You know, and then they're moving on to something else. People won't listen to a song if it takes you more than 15 seconds to expose the hook. So you've got to get right the hook. into the He's hook. talking technology. Yeah, it's kind of like my podcast. Technical term. Get right into it, right quick as you can. Otherwise, people are going somewhere else. Yeah, please stay, people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't go away. The hook is coming. But that's the thing, you know. And, well, and the that's hook's coming. That's yeah. a lot of – that's so. So even something as sophisticated and important as storytelling, and comedy is storytelling, you've got to give it to them really quickly now because they're short on attention spans. There's a, there's a big guy out there right now, I'm sure you've seen his videos, Gary Vanderchuk. Yes. He's the finger quote and rah, rah, rah guy. He's, he's like a motivational speaker. Yeah. And his whole thing is he, was, he started with a wine uh, in 2006, like YouTube was a year old. He did a wine talk show on YouTube. And his company went from a local New Jersey liquor store selling $2 million a year to selling $60 million a year. And he realized that the internet was the future of marketing. And he's now this huge marketing guru. Right. And what he says is, I'm a day trader in attention. That's what he does. It's all about how do you get attention. Yeah. Everything is about, you know, he talks, the, the best story I love is he goes, when I was like five, he goes, I didn't have one lemonade stand. I had like six. I strategically put them. I'd ride on my big wheel and go collect my money. He goes, then I'd sit at intersections and I'd watch people's <laughs> eyes as they're driving by and I'd figure out where they looked and I knew where to put the sign as they as they came by. And I'm like, that is genius. I mean, he's just and he's like a Russian immigrant who, you know, came here when he was a little kid. Of course. Yeah. He doesn't talk like that at all. I understand your audience, you know. Yeah. And yeah. he just he, he opened my eyes to something and like you know, I went out, I bought 20 
uh, yard signs that say stand up comedy uh, Saturday at night, Saturday night at BPA or Saturday at BPA, and then the website because that sign I can use for every show we do. I don't, it, you know, if we do a specific sign, use it once you're done. What's that website again? BPAinfo.com takes you right to the the, the and, page for the current and BPA show. BPA stands for what? Bainbridge Performing Arts, right here on Bainbridge Island, ladies and gentlemen. I'm actually on the board of BPA too. Yeah. It's an He's awesome. And what day. time is that show starting? The show is at uh, 7:30. Well, music starting at seven with seven. Rafi and his band. It's awesome. And how much does this endeavor it's cost? It's fifteen dollars. That's very cheap. Outstanding. Last year it was twenty-five. We bucks. did it for fifteen. We did last year. We did two nights. We did a talk show format. Where I had a sofa and I had Rafi and John and we kind of talked and then we brought on a comedian and they come sit down and we'd interview them. Questions from the audience. Questions from the audience and it was okay, but the feedback I got mostly was if you're gonna do stand up, just do stand up. If you're gonna do a talk show, just do a talk. Don't try to intermingle the two. Don't try to be all things to all people. And setting up a stand up show to me is very very easy. I've done it. I've owned. I had a little comedy club in New Orleans. I had a little comedy club in Orlando and I had one in Los Angeles. So I know how to set up a comedy show. And it's very simple to say, okay, I need a feature, I need a headliner, I'll MC it, I'll promote it. I decided to add live music this time because that's one thing that just gives it a good thing. Rafi's invented a band here. Yeah, put together a band in, what, about three days? And who's in the band? Uh, one guy I don't know, another guy I barely know. Perfect. <laughs> so Rafi to... and the Unknowns will be playing. <laughs> Rafi and Labor Ready. <laughs> <laughs> one guy from Tacoma, he's a great guitar player. Oh wow. uh, His name is Cody. You find oh, us on musiciansonline.com. No, nah, it's just network dating. of musicians. We get together and play. We played in different uh, things before, and I, got, and I saw the other guy, Abraham, who plays uh, uh, percussion. And uh, I said, hey, you want to do something? Uh, I've got this thing here, and the regular band that I play with, uh, they're not able to do the gigs, so can you do the percussion thing? Do you know somebody? He goes, yeah, i got a guy who can do the guitar work. i got work. a guy. And so then uh, he sends me some tracks. I listen to the music. I get the general idea. We'll have a practice uh, 15, 20 minutes before the thing gets set up, and then we go on. Are you doing some ACDC? Yeah, we'll do some ACDC. We'll do some heavy covers. Doesn't he look like somebody that should be playing the pan flute? Zamfir? I can see a little Zamfir going on there. I could play that. I can play the trumpet. Hey, um... Let's do this uh, version of this Fast, fast Five. Ooh, um, Fast Five. I'm going to go. change this uh, just a little bit. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to ask him a question. He's going to ask me a question. We're going to oh. do five quick questions. Okay. Um, ending. You guys should have two apiece, and I'll, I'll see what I can do here. Well, maybe Fast Six. All right. All right. Dan. Yes. Why doesn't Tarzan have a beard? Why doesn't Tarzan have a beard? Well, because uh, you know, Jane... Uh, Jane has very, very sharp thighs. Ouch. <laughs> That's a good one. Jane has sharp thighs. Uh, so now I ask yeah. me anything? Oof. All right. Rafi. Yes. Uh, oh, sh- this is where the edit has to come in. <laughs> There's no editing. Fast it's five, a fast too. It's five. It's a fast, fast five. five. So you're already thinking of your question. You've already, you've already got right. yours written down. Actually, you just reminded me I should be thinking of my question. Oh, sorry. Uh, and Back to the Future. Why did George? Why did his parents not recognize him as the kid who almost made out with his mom when they were in high school? Like, why didn't they look at the kid and go, "Wait a minute, you, your name's Marty, and you, the kid's name was Marty? Why? Why wouldn't George think that Elaine, that that uh, his mom Lorraine had an affair?" He threw Seinfeld in George with back in the Lorraine, and Lorraine. <laughs> well, I mean, the the logical answer is because it's not in the script. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Internet fail. <laughs> that would be my answer. Because they didn't write it that way. They didn't write it that way. Hey, there's there's now, about 10 books over there, Dan, of uh, how to ask a question. So go back <laughs> yeah. to this. The art of the interview. There you go. Yeah, I haven't read it. The the answer is because when when you're in an emotional situation, your judgment is compromised. So the ability to question scenarios around the obvious don't appear to you. And this has been proven time and time again in like uh, question uh, questioning and uh, questioning when they uh, if somebody witnesses something. Yeah, exactly. So you're in an emotional situation and your actualities are severely compromised. So that's why. Fair enough. There you go. God, I got all serious, man. I know. I got Bring all serious. Bring a comedian in here. He wants to go deep. <laughs> I'm going to look at one of those books for one second. Go ahead. He's going to look at the book. All right, he's <laughs> he's, going he's going pulling away from Make the sure mic there. Make sure you check that out, okay? Right there. And go on. You need to get out of Studio 15 with it. There you go. Just hit a, hit a random page. Go ahead, Ralph. All right. All right, so here's the question for you. Seven. Seven. Oh. <laughs> Terry, I thought Terry it was works. 42. There you go. Um. Okay, here's the, here's the question for you. This is why I'm curious very much about this, I would say. Uh, why is NPR now more successful than ever before? I, I think they've expanded um, their reach, especially through all the podcasts. And you talk about all the fake news, and then you have driven news outlets to get certain amount of content. I think NPR is a little bit off the track in saying that we'll cover not the same thing that everybody in the universal press would cover, you know, Kim Kardashian has a big butt today. Oh, wow. Trump said something stupid. Oh, wow. You know, NPR is like telling you about cultural and relative societal things. Okay. Here's a question for both of you. How come, how come NPR, they don't have water? Because they're, mount, they're always a like, shortage. They're always very, very dry mouth. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I've yeah. not noticed the dry mouth. Have a sip. That's have a sip. All right. So now, do you ask him now? We go back around. I'm going to go back to you. Back to me. Okay, back to you. If you're deaf, what? Well, <laughs> come again? That's what she said. If go ahead. You're, <laughs> pardon me. If you well, I never. And with a face like that, you never will. If you're deaf, yes. What language do you learn in? Sign. Sign language. Okay. Wouldn't that be it? That's good. Like but it. that works. But it's English. It's, it's your answer. But sign language, you're right. I mean, the words that mean this means lamb. So is it well, lamb? Th- this is English and this is French. Wee <laughs> wee. <laughs> oui, oui. But actually, everybody learns sign language until they form the vocal characterizations and understanding of. Right, because this yeah. meant I want breast milk. Well, there's this all kinds water. of water. All kinds of things. All done. Yeah. We did baby signs. Shout you out to you Shannon. You have to make. You have yep. to make. All kinds. More. Of More. 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 Yeah. yeah. Sign language podcast. This is fantastic. Yeah. You guys catching this out there? Get All right. Here we go. Uh, Rafi, I, this oh, is page 132 of Terry Gross's book, national bestseller, by the way. All I did was ask conversations with writers, actors, musicians, and artists. Ooh, okay. I just grabbed a random oh. question. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. What's your book titled? My book is called The Book on Hosting How Not to Suck as an MC. I literally wrote the book on hosting. Yeah. Available how on Amazon. How am I doing? Good. All right, good. Yeah, little plug, plug plug away. Uh, I've sold hundreds, almost a thousand of those. I think I've sold eleven hundred books so far. That's actually pretty good in ten years. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Put this way, how I, many I, more relatives do you have? I need to do an update because I did interviews with comedians in it, and I gave them all a plug, and most of the plugs have their MySpace page. 
Oh, there you at go. At the bottom of the page. <laughs> that cracked me up. <laughs> because I went to some site to find the book, and it was like, check out this interview on MySpace. Yeah. And I'm like, no. MySpace. Yeah. Do you update wow. your shit anytime? <laughs> no. No. That's like somebody showing up to your house to take you on a date, and they're in a carriage with a horse. Yeah. Yeah, with this a corsage. Is, that's the, the automotive <laughs> equivalent of MySpace. But, I mean, Facebook, Twitter didn't exist. I mean, YouTube just came out when I wrote that book. I mean, that's... Yeah. It's amazing what how yeah, different our life is since but then. But this stuff has come out, and you can now transfer that old stuff. To but it's a print stuff. book. I have to re- retype it and republish it. That's work. No, he doesn't want to do it. Get an IS- we can make a little commercial YouTube thing and get it off your MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the interview. There's the interview with me, I think, on my MySpace page, where I interviewed myself about See, the book. He doesn't even know. He, he doesn't know what's going on. I don't going remember. On. I haven't he been on MySpace in years. He's constantly Calling in all mode. comedic agents out there. Constantly we need help. Uh, I'll move off the subject of underwear for a moment. Thank you. So just how big is your record collection? (laughs) That's a question that's here on page 132. I can tell you exactly how big my record collection is. I have 17 LPs. Wow. That's it. Beautiful. What's the most uh, prized LP you have? The most prized LP that I have is Ken Nordine's uh, record called Colors. And uh, Ken Nordine was a fantastic voiceover specialist. He's the guy that did the original Levi's commercials. And they were Levi's indigo blue. And he did that whole description of colors. And the whole record is nothing but like heavy, deep voiced beat poetry set to enormous jazz music. Right. And, he's, and he talks about yellow, yellow's fun. You know, that kind of thing. And it's all beat poetry, and it's from the 60s, and it's very, very very Vince Guaraldi. And so that record is just beautifully done, wonderfully put together, and it's uh, that's probably my prize. Is it like the William Shatner when he was singing? It's even better than that. Because those are gold. If you you heard those, right? Lucy in the sky with diamonds. It like fades away. Yeah, he's the only guy I could probably impersonate. (laughs) Pull that off. Last question. Give right. it to me, Rafi. Last question. All right, here we go. Uh, you want the, you want wh- the book? No, I got it. Okay, here we are. Why do humans tell time? Uh, fastly, I would say, uh, to pass it. To pass it. Yeah. That's gas. That's gas. Time is a gas. <laughs> time, time. What is time? Yeah, what do we do? Why do, why do we need it? Why do we even use it? Sun's up or sun's down, right? So it's the, a man-made thing. Yes, it is a man-made thing. And it was unified throughout when we developed uh, the railroad so that everybody would have synchronized watches to be able to tell when they needed to activate the switching so that the switches would go on certain times. So they'd set all these watches wow. at exactly the same thing. And if you had a... a uh, uh, Atomic? No, no, no. This is... Uh, pocket watch. It really is. Very specific. You were required to wind it every morning. It was part of your work as a conductor to wind your watch, and everybody set it to the master so that everybody knew that the, that was the time. In Fort Collins, Colorado, there is a, a satellite thing that sends up the atomic time, mm-hmm. and this watch, it's a, Seiko, it's a citizen eco watch. It literally never needs to be set. It automatically gets the proper time to the second. But, but how do you know that's not a fake time? Well, it is because I mean, but it matches on my cell phone. It's always to the second. When this changes to the next minute, so does my cell phone because see, cell phones do the same here's thing. Here's the thing: I could go to any atomic clock, and let's just say I had the power of re-controlling that thing, right. and I could set it back 46 minutes, and every other clock would adjust to that. Now, if I did it overnight, nobody would know. Right. I just lost 46 minutes, right? 
So time. But all the manual clocks would be wrong. And all the and and pe- what people would but do. But people is, goes, oh, my cell phone says it's it's new. Right. So let me let me let me adjust that. that one because everybody would assume that the ultimate authority is what's accurate in terms of time, and that everything else was not. Now all you have to do is just make that shift into public opinion things, and this is exactly what. And I hate to bring it into politics. This is exactly what's going on right now. People with the largest voice and the largest reach and the largest... Squeaky wheel. That's right. They're making the most noise. They're saying, this is not what I said. This is what I said. Or this is what actually happened. And everybody is adjusting their own manual clocks. They're disbelieving the former artifact that they used for their own moral calibration. And they're relying on the largest voice. It's a big problem. Wow. Next time we come back, we should do a time travel episode. Ooh, that would be good. Although we may have already done it. I think we did. It's possible. Yeah, you had some references that were way back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me, time travel is like if I could if I could do time. Yeah, I would love that. Hey, let me talk a little bit technical stuff about being oh. a comedian because right. part of this is self growth for me. I want to write a blues song. I have no musical talent. Oh. I want to write poetry slam. Oh. I want to get on stage and do my fifteen minute set and uh, tell a joke that actually hits. <laughs> It's going to be a struggle, but it's all things that you know you want to mess mess about with. Now we're talking about headliners and MCs and feature feature the middle. And also the opener, middle head opener, middle opener, middle middle and closer. The other terminology they use. How is that classified? What slot you fit into? And then- when you start, you're an MC, which is ridiculous because that's the most important part of the show. That's why I wrote the book. Says the MC. Well, no, I wrote I wrote that because available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Believe it or not, with MySpace references, no yes. charge. Don't I, forget to download. I actually and have the I actually Podcast. have a new version almost finished, and I'm taking out all the quotes from the other comedians and just making just the meat and bones of how to MC a show. So it's going to be a picture book. It's it, pretty much. It's going to be a, an Amazon <laughs> single. So, the MC's job is think of a host of a party. If you host a party and nobody likes you, A, who's going to show up? Your mom. Exactly. And She'll sign the book. Thank you. <laughs> Call back. Hi, See Sue, hi, Sue Rosenberg. And how, how much fun could that party possibly be if the host of the party is a jerk? People are like, I'm getting out of here. Even, sure. if, even if it's the greatest house, the greatest food, if the host is just an asshole, you're like, just, yeah, just wow, it back it's to that the Repu- time already. Look bringing time. it back to the Republican Party again. Exactly. Whereas the feature act, to me, is the easiest part. Part to have in a comedy show the because long guy? no no the feature's the middle okay so you're usually doing maybe figure a half hour figure 15 30 60 as your as your your model so the MC does like 10 up front gets the audience warmed up makes all the announcements the club wants whatever they need and then it introduces the, the the feature comic comes back up there might be another announcement or two hey here next week we're gonna have so and so or you know basically gives a five minute window for people to take a quick piss break. That's honestly what it's there for. A little quick window. And then the headliner comes up. When the headliner's done, usually the the headliner ends, the show is over. You do not do any more jokes. You are no longer a comedian when you go back up on stage as the MC. You're there to say goodnight. Because too many comics will get up because now the audience is like, yeah. And yeah, you could do a few more minutes, but that'll piss off the headliner and you'll probably never work for that person again. They'll blackball you. There's like a lighting system, right? With the, a light comes on. Usually, there's a red light right now. With technology, excuse me a second. Right now, pretty much this is the light. You'll see this, the cell phone uh, waving. So we yeah. we just went to Macklemore concert, and there's no lighters. 
It's right. cell phone lights. Yep. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, you can also I get... haven't been to a concert for a long time. Yeah. Everybody's on their cell phone with the lights. Yeah, if you, and if you're lucky, you can get this one, too. Hold on a second. Once again, great visual for everyone. Dan is holding up it's, a cell it's, phone, and he's It's an app that is actually a Zippo lighter. An app and of you can a lighter. Hold it. It's a free app. You can have, and if you do this, it closes. So, yeah, the lighting system. <laughs> it used to be there was a red light, and the boss you know, would be in the back of the room, and the comedians always say, oh, boy, I got the light. got to go. Worst thing to ever say. Yeah. Don't, you don't acknowledge it. You all, you know, the light. You you acknowledge the person that gave it to you. You know, well, yeah. You know, let them know you saw it. And John usually, Lynch. Yeah, <laughs> and usually you have you know a minute or two to wrap up, and that's that's where you end the show. Uh, but the hierarchy is you're you know you're a closer when, as the feature, you're consistently the better comedian. Every time you go up, you're doing your thirty minutes after the show. Everybody's talking to you. And the headliner's standing over here trying to sell his T-shirts, and no one's talking to him or her. Yeah, he's on the merch table. Right. right. That's when you kind of figure out that you are the closer at that point. How long does but it now, take to write a, an hour-long piece? Because that's when you're really – you are the talent, and you are – what's the term again? Headliner. The headliner. Closer. closer. Well, headliner – it's two different things. They're both the same thing, but – Who does the majority segment? The biggest segment is that closer slash headliner. To me, a closer is an unfamous headliner. A headliner is somebody who they're coming to see that person. Like Brad Upton, who's here on Saturday at BPA at uh, 7.30 p.m., he's a headliner. Yeah. He's 30 years in the business. He, he tur- currently tours with Johnny Mathis. He toured with Joan Rivers. He's a headliner. He's got a name. He's been on national TV. He's won the Las Vegas Comedy Festival. Uh, I think he might have won the Seattle Comedy Competition a few years ago. He's a headliner, 30-year vet. People are coming to see him. If I'm the guy doing, like I was a headliner in Squim two months ago at the Seven Cedars Casino. No one was there to see me. I was just the guy that went on last. I'm the closer. I'm not the headliner. That's the difference. I got paid the same thing as when Brad Upton went there, but he probably actually had people show up because he was there. So, so that's the if difference. If you're writing, one of the best things to do in writing is to get three-by-five cards and Put just various prompts on the three by fives to remind you of certain segments, and then you can sort those three by fives into different order. And or you can just use your phone. Too, oh, you can also use at this your point. Phone. Sure, but you can sort them. The the benefit of using the three by fives is you can move them around, so you can pick uh, something to start, and then you want to pick your story arc. If you're going to do thirty minutes of talking, you want to pick where am I going to bring the people up to the peak of that moment? You know, it's going to be halfway through. Is it going to be slow build toward the end? And then also you're going to read the audience, and what you want to do is you want to stack your material. If you get closer to where you can start, kind of feel the audience moving up, then you want to move your peak out and stretch your peak out just a little bit, save your peak. Hey, stretch your peak out, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> save no. it toward the end. <laughs> and then, and then if, if, you're running, uh, if you're running tight on time, finish out at the peak and walk out. I have a set list that I've done the exact same set list in a 15-minute set, in a 30-minute set, and in an hour set, and I haven't changed because – I can stretch. I have longer versions of things, mm-hmm. and I have I ad lib a lot of my act. Sure, because I go with the room. And the first headliner I ever opened for, a famous person, was Richard Belzer, the Bells. The Bells. And after the show, uh, the guy that booked the room would not let me talk to him. He's like, you know, no, no, leave him alone. And then Belzer's like, hey, come on, were you the opener? Come here, come here, come here, come here. So he goes, what can I do for you? I go, I just have one question. I go, did you see my act? He goes, no. I said, all right, but well, what advice would you give? He goes, I go, I'm, I'm in this like a year. He goes, well, do you have a set list? I go, oh, yeah, yeah. And I go to pull. He goes, no, no, no. 
get rid of it. He goes, you can't do joke one to two to three to four to five right. to six. Doesn't because work. if you do one and it feeds into two and two feeds into three, what if two dies? Now you're feeding a dead joke into another dead joke and you're just going to dig a hole. You Good have advice. to be able to move around. He goes, write out what you want to do, but don't have an order. You know, Maybe put it in squares. Put it in circle. Just have it there if you need to visualize Bullets, it. Yeah. But never, ever do the exact same act and make it look like it's ad lib. So cut to 20 years later, I'm in Montreal at the comedy festival. There's Richard Belzer standing at this VIP tent at this little party. I know this. And I walk up to him. I go, <laughs> hey, Mr. Belzer, how are you? He goes, yeah, good. How are you? He's kind of, he's kind of an asshole. Aren't we all? Yeah. And I go, hey, I, I opened for you in Pittsburgh uh, back in 93. And, and <laughs> that, go, that's your opening line to him. And he's like, wow. I go, he, he goes, wow, you're still at it. I go, yeah. And I said, you gave me some really good advice. He goes, well, it must have been good if you're, if you're here. <laughs> and he goes, what was it? I, and I told him, he's like, yeah, I guess that's good. I don't know. <laughs> so after all these years, I'm like, are you kidding me? That can't be. Like, like how, in the, how in the world? Like, it didn't mean anything to him. Well, like, my entire I, career has been set by that advice. I've had students come up to me 10 years later from teaching, and they go, you know what, Professor, you gave me some of the best advice I ever got. And I go, oh, God, I can't remember. I said, oh, really? What was it? He said, you said, and then they'll go and they'll repeat whatever I said. And I go, Wow. Yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. Uh, let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> or you realize you go, oh my God, that was <laughs> I got Norman Vincent Peale. <laughs> I stole that, Carlos Mencina. I told that guy that. What a hack. Um, hey, so where do you teach? I teach at uh, California College of Art, uh, which is in San Francisco. And I go down and I teach there every fall and I teach undergraduate industrial design. And then I teach uh, the innovation studio for young entrepreneurs in an MBA program, which I'm a co-founder of. Brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, this guy's, they say hey, the, the five people you hang out with, you're the sum average of the five people you hang out with. I only have one Rafi, unfortunately. If I had five Rafis, I would be doing Golden. really well. Golden. <laughs> I've got like one Rafi and then a bunch of car guys. Although the car, our car group, I got to get them in with you. Yeah. Because we have- Guy that invented the waterbed. Yeah, he lives here on the island. Yeah, Charlie Hall. Bet you didn't know that. Charlie, are you still in business? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, he, well, he's he's well, he sold the business, but he still he's, he does other inventions. Yeah. He's got he invented the inflatable kayak. Yep. He's invented he's an inventor, but he's he's done very well. Yeah. We've got a guy named Richard Malzahn, who is a uh, visual artist he's in movies, a, visual a, effects guy. Visual After Effects uh, does a lot of work. His for first like movie, major movies. he worked in this little minor minor movie called Return of the Jedi. That was the first movie he ever worked on. Do you, are you familiar with that movie at all, Return of the Jedi? It's yeah. Also known as Star Wars Three. Yeah. Do you know the scene? I don't where, know which order the Star Wars come out. In. I know, Nobody they're all, does. They all screw up now. But you know when uh, when uh, Princess Leia, right when when Hans comes out of the carbonite, it's Han, not Hans. Hans, Rest you're right. Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Just to clarify, <laughs> Sorry. Hans, come out of the carbonite. Right when Hans and Franz, I'm here to pump you up. I'm here to freeze you down. Freeze you down. So when when Han Solo, I was about to say Han Solo, and I stopped. When Han Solo comes out of the carbonite, and uh, like a curtain is drawn, and all of a sudden, Job of the Hut's there. There was no curtain. Richard drew that. That was a visual effect that he created. It was eight frames, I think he says. So he frequently tells people, "Yeah, I'm the job of the curtain hut." Guy. Yeah. So he worked <laughs> on he worked on Titanic. He worked on he did all the visual effects for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So he's on the island. That was surprisingly a good movie. That was yeah. a good movie. Even the second one was pretty good. Still, still holds up. And then uh, who else do we have at the Cars and Coffee? We got Todd. 
Former Todd. NBA player. Yeah, former NBA player, yeah, seven Todd. foot tall. You know Todd. Todd. Todd McCall. Yeah, a lot of people guy. know Todd. Great guy. He's, he's a good storyteller, too. Oh, right? he's fantastic. Todd, he's very good. And Todd, uh, come on uh, onto the program. I know yeah. you're listening out there. Yeah. Todd's great. Great pinball stories, too. Yeah. Uh, Bob worked with uh, That's Steve right. Jobs. He's got great Steve Jobs stories. Yeah. Bob, and where do you guys uh, talk? The cars? We, we go to Jake's every Jake's Thursday at 8 a.m. Fantastic. And food. we also go to TNC every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Yeah. and sit upstairs. We need to have a car talk right here Friday mornings. Well, we could probably bring some guys in. Not car sure. talk. It's going to be called some something else, right? Hey, happy to do it. Yeah, we could we could put together. I mean, that I try to get a lot of the guys. You know, I talked about Todd about coming over and doing the show, but he doesn't. He didn't want to do it. But it we, would. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean show? Well, what when we had we our when on? we had our old radio yeah. show, when we had the one in Seattle, I wanted oh, Todd to come over. You don't have a bunch of mics at Jake's. No, 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 <laughs> no. No, it's just a bunch of guys. Blowing one guy's name Mike actually, Mike Henry. <laughs> We There's got one, one mic. What one happened mic. with that Alpha, the Alpha and the uh, Lancia that he wanted to sell? Oh, he still got him. You still got him. Did you look at him? Yeah, I looked at him. Not interested in. Well, you know, he get there like he get a thousand bucks for each of them just as they're sitting. And I said, look, you got to fix them up. You get get this one running. Get this one cleaned up. They both need to be cleaned up. Detailed. Right. You, you know. mean lawn chairs running? Not lawn chairs. <laughs> what did La- you say? Lancia. Lancia. L-A-N-C-I-A. It's an Italian car company. And, uh, you know, it's part of the most Fiat people family, don't right? know about it. It is now, but it's one of the oldest uh, car companies in the world. They built cars back in the early 1900s. And uh, phenomenal engineering and uh, unbelievable automobiles. History of amazing cars. But I jokingly call them lawn chairs. Yeah. So you heard chairs. right. Okay. Yeah, because Lancia. 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 It's Italian. My so wife Lancia. confirms uh, that I don't listen. So I'm sorry, what? Pardon me? Uh, it's twice we've done that. But yeah, so we, I mean, it's, it's a very eclectic. We had uh, Tom Bryant used to come all the time. Yeah, he's a former editor-in-chief of uh, Road and great Track. Guy. He lives here on the island. Richard Barron. Richard Barron, who's a famous photographer. Yeah, photographer and uh, uh, graphic designer. Gra- graphic designer in the auto field. Huh? Uh, we've got Jamie, who's a, a commercial fisherman captain. Yeah, he's got some great stories about fishing in this giant boat. And he goes, he goes off like the guys sea. in the Bering Sea. You know, He knows Holy all the guys God. from the Deadliest uh, Catch, but he yeah. catches Haddock. Yeah, and Pollock. And Pollock. Yeah. All the ox he gets. All the ox. All the bad white fish. And the Pollocks. Yes. What? But, uh, can't say that anymore. Pollocks. I'm Polish. I can say it. Pol-ish. <laughs> Pol-ish. Uh, like Jew-ish. <laughs> right. But he, he, uh, he's got, you know, he he's knows, got great stories. He's got some great stories of the road. Yeah. He's an Alfa Romeo guy. He's got yeah. two of them now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of. We got the wine guy, the, the new guy, Jonathan. Oh, yeah. He's like a wine app. He's got all kinds of wine. He's got a wine app. Yeah. He's a great guy. What do you need a wine app for? To buy wine. Tells you where to go to, for wine tastings, I think. And Women to have schedule. had the wine app for years. I want to go. My child's, uh, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, uh, speaks Winese. 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 Yeah. Well, that was the old, the, old, the, the best, the uh, Jewish woman's favorite wine. Take me to Miami. <laughs> That's not even funny. <laughs> the biggest laugh we've had you know, the whole time but you know what you know why you're laughing it's because of the way he delivered it it's the voice it's the face it's all if you it. want it, it's definitely the face if you want thank you it's if you want face. proof he's got a great like there you go there you go if you want who's a, your favorite impression come on yeah let's do an impression or two. i can do a lot yeah you know my favorite the, the favorite one i do a little bit yes you did see there look at that look at that oh i gotta take a picture of that yeah uh, he, he looks like visual. come on he looks like he dates black bit. women Come on, if that isn't Tribeca. Bobby De Niro. Tribeca. Tribeca. Yeah. Storage full. All right. You're just going to have to walk around squinting your eyes all day. <laughs> I can do Jack. Jack Nicholson anytime. My favorite is uh, I'd like I'd like some toast. We don't have toast. 
well, I, I'd like a chicken sandwich. Hold the chicken salad. Chicken salad. Uh, Kramer, I used to do a lot of Kramer. Why? Yeah. Uh, I used to have the hair. I could actually, I actually put the hair up. Put the hair up and. And I, I did Kramer. Kramer on Ice during the filming of Sudden Death with Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, there you go. And you were in a movie with Jean Claude, right? I was in Sudden Death with Jean Claude Van Damme. I was an extra in that one as well. Uh, extra death. Yeah, I almost had an actual role. I slid into Peter Himes, the director, who also did Running Scared. He did 2010, the sequel to 2001. Yes. He did Time Cop. And he's, I didn't know who he was because you never know what a director looks like usually. And I slid into him. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. He goes, I need a tall, lanky guy to be one of the bad guys in the movie. He's like, can you? He goes, are you in the union? I go, no. He goes, ah, I can't, I can't use you. He goes, this is a union part. Because I tell you, what, go up to go up to casting anyway. Tell them I sent you. And I'm like, okay. And I walk away and I go, who is that? And the guy's it's the director. I go, what's his name? And they go, Peter Himes. Go, okay. So I go up to casting. I go, Peter Himes sent me. And they're like, oh, right this way. Well, he said I should be uh, I should be an extra. And they go, okay. So you're gonna be on the bomb squad. So they, they suit me up in all this bomb squad material. And I go back down. And I've got an all access pass because I was the MC for the whole thing. I was the entertainment. And so now I'm getting paid fifty bucks a day to be entertainment. 75 bucks a day to be an extra or vice versa. Either way. I'm making 125 bucks a day to hang out. You're having fun. I'm having a blast. Barely made it in the movie. I think if you have the laser disc version <laughs> and you hit pause at the right moment, you can see me. <laughs> laser disc. But there's let's, a point. Wait, let's pause for a moment and think about a laser disc. Oh, yeah. Who's got laser disc and who's got the actual device that is still working to be able That's to play? where I am. I loved in Back to the Future too, by the way, when they had the big garbage things, they yeah. had laser discs in there. Yes. Like in 2015, <laughs> we still had laser discs. Uh, so uh, there's a point where I'm thinking I'm the shit, right? I got the all access pad, I'm walking backstage, I'm all dressed in my outfit, and there's, I got to go to the good craft services, you know, the food for the, yes. the, the act, I get the good stuff. So I'm walking up, I go to grab an Oreo, and these girls are like looking at me, and I'm like, and all of a sudden <laughs> this hand comes and grabs the Oreo, and they turn, it's Jean-Claude Van Damme. He grabbed the Oreo. I'm like, you can have it. I'm like, you're looking at him? I walked away. I would have this Oreo. I'm out. And what I'd introduce him every day to the audience. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he'd come out and he'd shake my hand. He'd say, welcome to everybody. And he gave me the French little... Oh, yeah, the French French. I'm like, you could break my hand probably. And this is what you give me? Really, dude? He's got a really good show on Amazon right now called Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Really? Really funny. Six episodes. On Amazon? On Amazon. Very funny. Hmm. He plays himself, but he's actually a real spy. Like, he goes on movie sets, but then he's actually got a case to do. Felicia Rashad is his boss. It's really good. I recommend it highly. All right. I'll Another show out. I recommend, if you want recommendations, yeah. Future Man. Future on Man? On Hulu. No kidding. Hysterical, great time travel. Future Man. Future Man. All right, I'll check 13 that episodes. I just finished, uh, I watched all eight episodes of uh, Big Mouth. On Netflix. I, I hear that's quite funny. Oh, my gosh. I'm not familiar. Oh, you're not. Oh, my God. You've got to watch it, especially. Well, here's here's the problem. No, I, got it's, a, I got a new phone. I don't know our password to Netflix. So Everything else is already logged in, and we can't log out of anything because we don't know our password. So don't let Josh wash it. Watch okay. it. Cause it's or wash little, it because, you know, it's a little it's advanced. Uh, but I guarantee you, by the time you advanced. get to the third episode, oh, my God. When they have Freddie Mercury, that Freddie Mercury dream was just insanely funny. I'm telling you. It's 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 very puerile. It's very Freddie Mercury had some massive teeth. Yes, he did. Wow. Yeah. And if you look at it, he was very self conscious of it because in his interviews he would laugh and he would cover his mouth. Very self conscious of his teeth. Anyway, Freudian slip there. Super yeah. funny. 
Super funny. All right, I'll have to check hey, it out. One more technical question, Rafi. All right. Um, person that goes out early, is is it looked down upon by the headliner if you just start uh, riffing with the audience and doing improv type stuff? Does I, that screw it up for the headliner later? I don't think so. I think what your job is is you know you're you're warming up the audience for the headliner. So your job is to get people comfortable. It's not your job to kill. If you go out there and you really kill, you actually, you want to pull back a little if you feel the crowd's starting to warm up too much. You want to pull back a little. It's not your job to kill. The best thing you can do is warm them up for the headliner. The Am I right? Well, the secret is ask the headliner. Because if he works the crowd, he'll be pissed if you already work the crowd because right. you've already dug into his or goal. Or you've antagonized the crowd right. to get If he doesn't south. want people talking, he does, he'll be like, don't talk to the crowd. Uh, you're like a good referee. If you think about the best basketball or football game you ever saw, you don't remember. You don't remember the referee. That means they did their job. You should be unmemorable as the MC. I mean, I hate to say that, but the best you'll be memorable to the other comedians. You'll be memorable to the club owner if you're uh, if you're not memorable to the audience because you didn't do anything crazy. You didn't try to be the funniest person. And a good example, and this is actually in my book, the the one headliner before the show. I said, I said, do you have anything you want? You know, any restrictions? He goes. Don't say fuck too much. I go, oh, I don't say it at all. I say, no, no, no. You got to say it at least twice. I'm like, why? Because you got to prime the fuck pump. I hope I can say that on the show. If not, bleep it. And so I go out, and as I'm doing, I do my act. I do my little 10-minute spiel, my my bits, my sketches. Your sketches. And I see the headliner over on the stage. He's like looking at me. I go, I'm like, all right. Are you guys ready for your headline? Yeah. I said, all right. Fuck you and fuck you. There, I said it twice. Is that good? And he laughed out and he came out laughing and the show was, you know, because we had an inside joke between us. And it was like, why did he just say, the guy in the audience, like, me, what, what did I do? <laughs> I had to say it twice. So you're talking about doing some comedy yourself. You're talking about doing something. So, you know, the best thing you could possibly do is just get out and do it, honestly. Because whether you bomb or you succeed, it doesn't really matter. The point is you're getting out there and you're doing it. Right. Get out of the comfort zone. Yeah. And make that. Go uh, to the Comedy Underground. You walk off the boat, go downstairs. It's right at Swanee's Sports Bar. They do an open mic well, two or three yeah. nights a week. And just you do can it. go there. You can go in. Uh, it used to be in Kirkland, but now Laughs Comedy Spot on Wednesday nights does an open mic night. And you just show up, sign up. There'll be nobody in the audience but comedians. So it'll be they, they get fifteen to twenty real audience members. Plus, you, it's a safe, uh, safe. Game. It is and safe. It's where you can work out. Yeah, yeah. Just give it a try. Or start an open there. mic. And yeah. that's the other that's a great thing that people have done. They find a restaurant that has a dead night, Thursday night, Wednesday night, and they go, Hey, can we do an open mic here? Open comedy mic? Because what happens is the community will find out and you'll get guys coming over from Seattle. There's a guy up in Port Townsend. Uh he goes by the name Soup. Soup. Dave Soup. Dave Soup. His, his name is like Salis I forget his last name. Sorry, Dave. Salisbury Soup. Yeah, but he, he's he's a really, really <laughs> funny guy, but he's in Port Townsend. That's so where's he gonna go? Wow, for Port Townsend, he goes go all. The, I That's met him at Laughs. I met him at Laughs Comedy Club in Seattle, and I'm like, "Hey, we should share a boat. <laughs> you know, you should drive to Bainbridge, and then we'll jump on the boat together and go do the show." Yeah. And I got to know him, and then there was a place in Bremerton that is going to come back called uh, Mobster Mike's. Uh, it was right in downtown Bremerton. They lost their lease. I don't know when he's going to open. I'm the headliner the first week he opens because I was supposed to be the headliner the next week. He closed the week before my my booking, so he said I can have the first week. Plus, it's good to use a local guy. But that's he does an open mic that probably one of the best open mics I've been to in five years. I walked that's in, in Bremerton. It was in Bremerton. I walked in, and first off, he was shocked. Mike was like, "What are you doing here?" He was, he was "Did I book you?" I'm like, "No, I'm here for open mic." He goes, well, "What are you doing here?" 
I go, it's open mic. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but you're you're a pro. Why are you coming to open mic? I go, Michael Jordan used to go to the gym, didn't That's right. he? I mean, you know, all Tom Brady still goes to the gym. He just doesn't show up for the games. You have to work out still. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I got on really, really late, and half the audience had left. But the first 15 comics got like a 50-person audience. And these are open micers. Some of them, it was, one guy was his first time ever. And it helps to bring a few friends. It, does, it doesn't hurt. Thicken up the audience a bit. Because it makes you feel more comfortable if you know a few people. But there's nothing wrong with an open mic, taking a notebook up with you and just having you know, 15 ideas and going, okay. Because the worst thing you want at the beginning is to be worried about forgetting. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to memorize your act. You can walk up, you can have a slip of paper. My trick is I take an, a cocktail napkin and I write my set circle out, as Richard Belzer taught me. The Belzer I, set circle. It's not really a circle. I mean, I write a list, but it's like two columns. And then I bring it up, I lay my drink down, and it's there. And then when I go to get a drink, <laughs> ah, you slick guy, you. And I go to the next joke because I'm, you know, I'm going to be 48 this year. I forget things. You get to that age. 49, by the way. Anyway, what I'm, what no, I'm going to be 48 this year. No, I'm kidding because you forget things. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Wow, I forgot that we rehearsed that earlier. You know, God, there's a reference there. And <laughs> and think about it. If you go hear a big band playing, band yeah. that's known really for doing it, a lot of times they've got their, their Not charts. A lot, almost all the time they've got the they set list their, on the floor. They get the set list and they get their charts. Yeah. And the set list will have the key structure that might have the chord, you know, overall it might have little notes in it to remind people what to do. But a lot of times these guys are sitting in and they're getting the, you know, they're getting the sheet music. I saw Billy Joel forget words. Yeah. I saw him in New Orleans, and he's like, he's. I think it might have been Piano Man. He's like, da 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 da. What the fuck? I, did I forget the words of Piano Man? Yeah. All right, here we go. And he started again. It might not have been Piano. It probably wasn't Piano Man because I'm sure everybody in the audience was singing along with him. He could stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so that's that would be my advice to anybody who wants to try stand up. Is the secret is trying it. I've talked to BPA a little bit about maybe doing a stand up class yeah. where you know we'll come in, we do once a week. And then we do a show at BPA because there's obviously a stage there. We go on an off night. People come in. You know, everybody brings ten friends. We fill the room. If you have ten people with ten friends, it's a hundred people. You know, it'd be great is to do the workshop, the first four hours, take a break, and then have those guys do the show. Oh, I've done that before. I've done like a one day workshop where that night there's a show there's based a show. on what you did. That would be good. But you also can do like an ongoing, yeah. you know, eight weeks of stand up and eight and weeks of stand up. You just have to learn. It's just to get five minutes. They used to call weeks. it the Johnny Five. How how long is this show running at the BPA? Is this going to be consistently on Saturdays? No, this is this is our second annual. Second annual. I want to get something more often, but the Edge is there once a month, the first Saturday of the month. And if you haven't seen them, go see them. They're Fantastic. They group. do great improv. Nah. Uh, and a little shout out to. Uh, uh, Frank Buxton, the late Frank Buxton, yeah, just passed away. Just passed away. Fantastic man, wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. Great comedian. Wrote some of the best episodes of yeah. The Odd Couple, Happy Days, yeah. Mork Very and well Mindy. Yeah. And yeah, I, I got, I was lucky enough to get a seat at the show last week for The Edge or two weeks ago. Because yeah. my, my son goes to school at Hyla, and he Chris Soldavia is his teacher, and they're doing improv now. And Chris uh, I, is, I want Chris on the show. Chris is a member. I could probably, I could probably hook, you up, hook that up. He's. Very, very funny. I mean, you could probably just ask him, too. I hear he's pretty shy, though. No? I think. I don't know. You put a microphone in front of him, I think he'll be fine. He he hosted. I mean, he was the host of the Edge Night. Because he's teaching something. It. He right? teaches at, at Hyla. He teaches the theater program. Okay. And then he also has the studio. He has his own school where he teaches improv and That's scene study. About. Yeah. And I have a sitcom I've been writing for 25 years that eventually, Rafi has helped me write a little bit of the, the new one. It's a lot of fun. For, a lot of fun comedy writing. So hopefully, you know. And most of the material, where does it come from? Real life. Real life. A perfect story. And I'll tell the story how I tell it. 
So I'm at the store. It's Rafi's story, but I've turned it into my own for this for this bit. It's no new bits. Uh, in in the <laughs> script, the, the the Dan character, the the idea of the script is Rick Springfield is my dad, but he's not Rick Springfield. He's just the, the actor. So it's it's this good looking sixty eight year old guy who looks better than me, has a full head of hair, and I strike out with women, and he picks up my you know, I have to get my dad sloppy seconds. Basically, that's the kind of the, the premise of the show, because the dads are never hot on TV. They're always fat, old, bald, stupid, stupid. Angry. This is. Human. What would it be like if you had a hot dad and you're a balding, overweight, 40-something guy and you've got a good-looking 60-something guy? So that's the premise. So the opening of the scene, this is episode four. The opening of the scene is I go to the store. I'm looking at a sale rack of shirts. I find a shirt. I hold it up to myself, and, and I see they're 50% off. So I grab a second one, different colors. I go to the counter. I lay it to the girl. She starts folding it up. I go to get my card out. She hands me the bag. I hand her my card. She's no, no. I, what do you mean? She says, well, what's that for? I go, well, to pay for it. She says, they're 50% off. I'm like, yeah, you got two. <laughs> and then the phone rings, and I'm like, but, but. And, she's, and so I walk away like, like, what just happened? And I find this hot assistant manager, and I walk up to her. I'm like, uh, excuse me. Uh, I, and I tell the woman over there, she just, these shirts, I, I didn't pay for them. She said they're 50% off, and so she gave them to me for free because I got two. She says, oh, Mindy must have waited on you. She says, well, since you're honest, I'm going to I'm gonna let it slide. You can have them. I go, really? Wow. Uh, do I tip for this? And she says, no, we're not allowed to accept tips. Do you eat? And then that's the beginning of the show, and then it turns out I, I'm now going to go on a date with the girl. And then nice. my dad, of course, the way you write a sitcom, <laughs> well, the way the way – Seinfeld cracked the code, I think, of, of sitcom structure, and no one has done it since. But the way I've written all this, my stuff is every you have your joke at the end, and you backwards engineer how to get to it. So the end of the the end of this episode, and I, I I don't have the middle yet, but the end of the episode is I'm at the restaurant dating the girl. My dad walks in. He's wearing the same shirt as me, and he's dating Mindy, the ditzy girl that gave the free shirts. So that's that's, that's, the, end of that's the, the punchline, and so now we've already set up the beginning. Now I have to know how to get my dad to the point where he's with Mindy. I've got to figure. I've got all this restaurant material, and that's what started was tiramisu. How do you pronounce that? Tiramisu. How do you pronounce it? Layers to the player. Layers to the player. <laughs> so one time I was in in L.A. and I ordered. I was with my wife after a comedy show. We weren't married yet. I was with a bunch of other comedians. And I'm like, yeah, how big is the tiramisu? And he goes, oh, the tiramisu is about this big. I go, well, is the tiramisu something that we could share? He goes, the tiramisu is very shareable. I'm like, all right, well, I think we're, do you want tiramisu? Well, we'll take one tiramisu. Oh, so you'd like one tiramisu? I'm like, yeah, well, we want a tiramisu. He goes, okay, I'm going to write down tiramisu for you. I'll, I'll go get you your tiramisu. Great, get me the tiramisu. And he walks away. So then he comes back again. And he's like, all right, here's your tiramisu. I go, thank you. We're going to enjoy them tiramisu. So we're like fighting with the pronunciation. Like we're both saying it differently. And I finally went home and I Googled it. If you hit Google and you can hit the little microphone, the audio, it'll play how to pronounce it. And we were both wrong. It's tiramisu. <laughs> tiramisu. So we were both actually wrong. That, that's your story? It's not that funny. <laughs> no. It has to be acted out. But that's one of the, one of the many... Just that's all you balls. got. That's all I got. That's how you're closing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Good night. The Good shrimp night. store that's called. It. They're running out of you. Yeah. Or the jerk store. Sorry. The jerk, the jerk store. store. <laughs> so uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you in. Holy crap. Rafi and yeah. Dan. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. yeah. We're having fun, aren't we? Um, we must be. Okay. Uh, I cannot believe how fast that went. 
Tell me what's going on down the pipeline for you, up and coming. Down the pipeline for me, well, uh, Saturday with Dan. We'll be, uh, but that'll be in the, the past. Most people listening to this, oh, that's, that's going to be right. in the past now because this ah, goes on forever. Yeah, we're going to try yeah. to bust this out tonight. But it goes out forever, though. People are going to listen to this in the future. Oh, there that's are people listening to this right now, and there's a new president already. Oh, that that would be February. <laughs> <laughs> From your mouth. Oh, yeah. He, he, uh, he's got heart uh, heart problems. And, yeah. uh, you know, Valentine's wow. is right around the corner. Yeah. And, hey, here's, here's my Trump joke, if I can All right, jump say, in. It, say it correctly. Um, once again, Trump has proven that. Uh, only, with his wives, only immigrants will do the hard work in America. True. The problem is a lot of people have under the conception that his middle wife was also an immigrant, but Marla Maples was not. Oh yeah, two you're of right. his only two that of his joke three. doesn't work. Stop. Edit. Well, what I what I I mean, I, there's a joke here somewhere. I've been trying not to do any political material because it writes itself at this point. But the fact that four of five Trump children have immigrants as moms, hmm. and choose. Dentine. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something with four out of five. So what's coming up? Yeah. Uh, the band I plan, Westerly Sound. We uh, are just releasing our uh, debut CD, and uh, that is out. Is it available on Laserdisc? No, not oh. yet. <laughs> Where but is it available? It is available at westerlysound.com. You can download uh, direct from the site there, or you can purchase CDs. Uh, you can come and hear the band. We'll be playing our next gig, I believe, is uh, at Eleven Winery. That's going to be on the uh, 24th of February. Uh, everybody come to 11 Winery. To celebrate the new president? Celebrate the new president, yes. Uh, we think it'll happen the 23rd. And uh, we think the, uh, uh, let's see, the new president, we're not sure who the new president is going to be, but uh, we'll Paul have Ryan. Some, Paul Ryan will yeah. be the new president. Uh, I was gonna, thought you were going to say Paul Reiser. Uh, Actually, Paul Lynn. Oh! <laughs> Artificial sweetener. All three would be. You're not yeah. hitting my demographic with that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Try Oprah and Michelle Obama. You know. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so I'm yeah, here. That's what's coming up. I want to see Rosie O'Donnell go against Trump. Rosie is president. Yeah, Rosie for president. There you go. Well, Rosie for Steve Bannon. I think that would have been better than Bill Murray. But Bill Murray oh, did a good. Put them she together. Was a great Bannon, wasn't she? No, it was Bill Murray. Was it Bill Murray? Yeah, that wasn't her. Wow. <laughs> Dan, what do you got going on besides? BPA? Uh, BPA, of course. Uh, working on this sitcom. Hopefully something will happen with it someday. Aren't you doing laughs uh, coming up? I don't have laughs scheduled at the moment. I thought you got one coming up. No. I probably, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, Dan Rosenberg, the number three. Because there are two others before. Oh, no. It's the, no, excuse me. What is? I've got two different pages. My personal page is Dan Rosenberg, three. So go to Real Dan Rosenberg. And that's my comedy page, I think. See, I don't have that problem. There are no Rafi Manassians out there. Yeah, you're, you're it. <laughs> that's a spelling yeah. issue, though. Rafia. <laughs> yes. In the all newspaper these, list him as Rafia. All these things crack a lack, and we'll uh, put on the show notes for everybody. Yes, but I will, I will have some shows coming up. I usually do. Uh, I'll, I'll be doing the Clearwater Casino probably in the next few months on a Tuesday night. Uh, Squim, I'm not due to do for another three or four months. That's, it. that's twice a year, twice a year gig. Muckle shoot. I did muckle shoot not too long ago. I'll probably be doing that one again. Muck luckle shoot. Muckle luckle luckle shoot. So yeah, I, the casinos around here are really good. There's a lot of comedy at the casinos, so it's a good place to. And that's see just some... for the winners. Exactly, and it's most uh, most of the shows are free at the comedy at the casinos. Again, for the winners. <laughs> We're all winners. <laughs> Thank you. Dan. Thank you. Nice to meet you. You too, sir. Thank you. Coffee. Thank My you. My pleasure. Yeah. And you've been listening to the Bystander. Thank you.